Welcome to the 43rd episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. This episode features The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. This is a huge book, so spoilers are long between the 56 and 2 hour 14 minute marks. We spend a lot of time discussing which characters we loved and who we could have done without, as well as the immense world building that went into this standalone novel. We tell you which of the six virtues of virtudom would be our patron if we lived in this world, and Taja ends spoilers with her beef with this book. We finish with our usual segments and have our first actual surprise book of the year revealed for our next podcast. So with that, let's hear it. Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do? Welcome to the 43rd episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell and she is Taja. Hello. Hello and welcome back, everybody. It has been a month. We told you this was happening, so don't shake your fists at us. But we are here. We have used our time wisely, and we are ready to bring to you the massive missive that is the Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. That thing is thick. But before we get to that, it has been a month. Let us catch you up on what we've been doing. Taja, what have, what's been going on? I... I don't know so much. I've been reading that book. (laughs) Let's see. Just like work and bowling and bowling with my parents. And we went to Jersey to celebrate. I guess not really celebrate, but to get together with various family and saw our collective nine nieces and nephews, which is just so many children. Um, they're all really sweet kids though. So it was all right. It wasn't too bad. And yeah, it was like really great birth control on the way home. All we were doing was talking about how great it is that we don't have kids. We're what you call dinkwads. So we're dual income, no kids with a dog. Wow. I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) You can be a dink, like you and Amanda are dinks. We're dink wax. That cat I don't like and it's still here. And some lizard. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But yeah, it was um, decent weather. We went into New York City, went to Central Park Zoo and Saw a fake Donald Trump trumping outside Trump Tower. That was entertaining. And went to FAO Schwartz and saw people skating at Rockefeller Center, which like I kind of want to do, but I feel like it's probably like a bunch of monies. I also I I gotta feel like that ice is garbage. Like so like it doesn't look terrible. I mean, I'm I'm like up high, so I'm not like investigating it, but I gotta imagine they're like zamboning it every now and then. And maybe they have like set times. Yeah, that would make sense. Because otherwise it would just get chewed apart. Yeah, and I think like because I they have like people with fists, like workers, (laughs) um, like monitoring the skate. And I'm assuming like helping people if they like don't know how to skate. I thought I heard one of them hollering about like, you have 10 minutes left. So it's like a timed thing. Also, also because I was doing my like ocular pat down of the situation. 
I'm pretty sure that you just rent skates. Like, I don't think you, not that you couldn't bring your own, but not a single skater out there had their own. Mm. Um, They were all just like very generic, like bowling shoe version of skates, (laughs) which in fun bowling news, I bought myself a pair of bowling shoes. So I didn't have to stop renting them from the alley each time we went. I feel like it's a valid investment now that I'm not growing like my parents. I had a ball when I was a kid, but my parents wouldn't let me buy bowling shoes because my feet were still growing. And that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now that I am an adult and can buy my own things, (laughs) I bought myself some bowling shoes. So how often are you guys bowling at this? Oh, we're going like once a week. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I mean, like we didn't go last week because we were in like driving home from Jersey, but like We've basically been going, um, this is not like every, every week, but my parents bowl in their league every Monday and they practice usually on Sundays. So we'll like go on Sundays with, and meet them there and bowl a couple of games. And uh, yeah, it's like really fun. It's <laughs> very cute. Yeah. I would love to join a league, but most of the leagues are like at inconvenient times. It's also like not I don't I don't want to like go after work or like yeah. you know I don't want it to become a a chore type thing yeah and it's also not there's only like one bowling alley in like all of Vermont that's not true but most <laughs> like of Chitton County in my area my general neck of the woods I'm pretty sure there's only one bowling alley and it's not close so yeah. it's kind of a pain all fair yeah Did you get so cool- yeah colors on your shoes they're just gray come on i know i they they look like tennis shoes but yeah i'm excited i'm gonna use them tomorrow when we go (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome yeah that pretty much covers it i mean i oh well actually a little so we gave gifts to the family members mostly like for the kids we got stuff and they loved it it was just like a day or a morning of like kids just playing with toys everywhere and I had made those candles I think I mentioned that on the pod last one of the times and my sister-in-law texted me a little while later and was like oh my mom was asking where you got that candle and I was like yeah we're like (laughs) making the big time but I had to drink the wine first and then It's but a yeah. multi-step process. It's also, yeah. it takes more than that one bottle of wine to make those candles, as I remember. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, like a lot of them, like this one that we made that I'm staring at right here, it didn't break well. So this was like a our version. No. <laughs> We're going to keep this one. Smells good though. So yeah. Uh, that was mine. Nice. My, my month was obviously dominated by going to Rwanda, which was an incredible experience and something that was really powerful for me. And we were talking about it before. It's a question of making that change or whatever that feeling last uh, and and realizing kind of those revelations that you have there about how, uh, how much luxury we have here and kind of the things we take advantage of and seeing how much people do when they have so much less. It was really incredible and powerful and getting to spend those 10 days with uh, the kids that live in the home and see how it's run and see kind of all the work that they put in to better themselves and how, I mean, they just, they want such a better life for themselves. And if this is your first podcast, it's with a charity called Dubaka Rwanda. And these kids are taken off the street by this man named Devote, who's been doing this for 20 years now. And he raises them and basically gives them a father figure 
to care for them. And, but he also, you know, make sure they go to school, make sure that they stay clean, make sure they're not doing drugs, make sure that they're becoming better versions of themselves so that they can go to university if they get good enough grades. But even if not that, so they can, you know, get a good job, uh, they can move out and be uh, sustainable on their own. And it's really incredible that it's been going on so long. We've seen since I've been donating with this group, we've seen success stories and we got to meet a few of those, which was really cool. Uh, so cool. Yeah, we met we met one uh, guy named Clever who's 24 now and he's in his last year uh, at university, which is a huge deal over there. It's not like us where if you have the money, you can go. It's very hard to get into university because it's all about- What's he studying? Uh, he is doing mecha- mechanical- or electrical engineering, engineering or nice. mechanical engineering, one or the other. And engineering. Uh, him and him and Soonish had great <laughs> conversations about it because they're both in that field. And I was yeah. just like, good on you. <laughs> like, that sounds way more complicated than what I do. And then we met <laughs> a, another guy who I had never heard of before, uh, who was one of the earliest boys from the school who had joined the military. And he ended mm-hmm. up coming back with us from our day trip and kind of talking to the boys about how much this uh meant him yeah how much that meant to him but also how much avode giving him an opportunity and also the people that support the charity gave him an opportunity to be the man he is today and he had his daughter with him and it was just oh. such a cool moment uh to see all that so we we did a bunch of stuff with the kids we had a day trip planned with them where we took them four hours out of the city to a lake most of them if they'd been out of the sea it had been years since they had done that a lot of them didn't know how to swim. So we were teaching them how to swim uh, and just kind of having fun with them, making memories with them. Uh, and then other than that, we would help them with schoolwork. We would help them read, read with them or have them read to us. We would play games. We brought a bunch of different games uh, for them or we would play soccer. And it was just about spending time with them, showing them that there's people out there that care about them, that want them to keep doing good. Sully, his big saying that he's always used in his emails and everything that he talks about this is Comera, which is can you rewind in for uh, be strong? Uh, And then they have uh, when we were playing soccer, he kept yelling Comeza, which means, you know, keep going, continue, uh, because we're surrounded by bushes as our sideline. So it's like if you could dig the ball out, you know, you just hear (laughs) Comeza, 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 (laughs) stop the game. So uh, that was another saying that I learned while we we're there, Comesa Camara, like continue to be strong, continue to nice. do the good things. So uh, it was really powerful to get to spend time with them and see how much they wanted a better life too. And again, the things we, you know, how many kids here granted. say, I don't want to go to school. Like I hate school. I hate all this. I mean, I was one of them, right? <laughs> These kids would do anything to go to school and it costs money. So that's a big part of the the charity is to raise those school fees so they can get their uniforms, so they can go to school, so they can make a better life for themselves. So it was just so powerful and incredible. And Sully is planning a return trip in April next year. So Amanda and I do plan on going back, which we're very excited for. And we're hoping that I would love to go. Yeah, Barry and I am sure both of us would. I mean, I know me for one, but Barry for two, more than likely to be into it. So we'll, we'll talk details about that as it comes up. But again, just an incredible experience. I have posted some stuff on both our Twitter and Instagram, and I do still have the link up there for the GoFundMe. There's been quite a few people that have donated. If you have, thank you. That's it's really means a lot to me, to Sully, to the kids, to all of us. I mean, it's just, that's another thing that it brought me back with is just, I need to do more. I need to, to do right. more to get more for these kids. Uh, like I already can't wait to bring four more bags full of donations for them. <laughs> like uh, it's just such a cool 
thing. Uh, and, and I just want to help them as much as I can. So uh, again, it's uh, still on our Instagram and our bio, and I have some posts on our Twitter for the GoFundMe. It's Ubaka Rwanda, Ubaka Rwanda, U-B-A-K-A Rwanda. Um, there's a website and everything. It's super cool. So check that out. And to do that, you will need to know that our handle is at Adult Book Club 21. That is Adult Book Club, all one word, then the number 21, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us there. So check that out. We post very limited things, but we're going to get better at it. And I feel like we've been saying that Maybe. for a year. So we're we just probably slow. Will. To yeah. the, we're not content creators. <laughs> we're not. We'll work on that. No, we probably won't. But also I don't want to like overburden people with it. Like anyway, we're not spam you. And... Yeah. We're not going to spam you. So join us because we won't spam you. You're welcome. But uh, yeah. So on that note, uh, I mean, other than that, there's we've had some other minor escapades in the last four weeks, but I could honestly spend two hours talking to you guys about Rwanda. So <laughs> Daja is using hand signals to remind me to tell you guys the most exciting personal news, which is when we got home, there was a plow on the truck, which was super exciting because uh, Amanda's mom and her cousin, they work at that uh, shop. And they were pestering. I guess it wasn't the fact that there wasn't a frame for the truck. It was that oh. they were very limited quantity because it had just oh, started coming out. That's stupid. So they just pestered that nice. manufacturing company. And we're like, oh, we're going to keep bothering you until we get one. the grease. Yeah. So we did get it two months earlier than expected, which was awesome. And they borrowed the truck with the help of Amanda's dad, who was watching our house to put the plow on while we were gone so yeah we came up the driveway and I was like there's a plow on that truck very exciting welcome home gift yes thank well welcome home gift that I had to pay for (laughs) (laughs) well welcome home gift that you didn't think you were getting for a couple more months very true so yeah we had a storm uh yesterday two days ago whatever it was so got to use it for the first time and beat my last record for clearing the driveway by about five hours so yeah just a casual five hours just a casual five hours so that was nice yeah so Anyway, we will now move on to the book because folks, strap in. This was an 800-page book. This took us four weeks to read. It is going to be a lot. So I just finished it yesterday. So true. And this, like, it, I'm not going to say it was a job to read uh, because there was a lot good in it, but it was a job just because of how big it was. It's like, okay, got to, got to read, got to read, keep reading. Anyway. Yes. So uh, once again, the book is The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Priory of the Orange Tree was the sixth book published by Shannon and the first outside of her Bone Season series. Originally slated as a standalone novel, Shannon wrote Priory as a reimagining of the legend of St. George and the Dragon. But since it was published, she has decided that this world has a lot more stories to tell. And actually earlier this month released a prequel called A Day of Fallen Night. And then also has signed a contract to add a third book to what she is now calling the Roots of Chaos series. So I don't know if she'll ever get back to these characters. I know the prequel, when I was reading the brief on that, it was like 50 years after Virtudom started, I think it was. So this was a thousand years after Virtudom started. So it's not even like 
I'm going to be dealing with characters that like grandparents that recognize. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what the third book will be, but we'll see. And then the Bone Season series, I have not heard any. I I honestly thought this was her first book. I had not heard of Samantha Shannon. This had just been blowing up all over everywhere. So also the cover is amazing. It's so beautiful. Yes, it is a very beautiful book. It does grab the eye. So before we get started, Taja, do you want to read the back of the book? Yeah. The house of Barathnet has ruled Innis for a thousand years. Still unwed, Queen Sabrin the Ninth must conceive a daughter to protect her realm from destruction, but assassins are getting closer to her door. Eid Durian is an outsider at court. Though she has risen to the position of lady-in-waiting, she, she is loyal to a hidden society of mages. Eid keeps a watchful eye on Sabrin, secretly protecting her with forbidden magic. Across the Dark Sea, Tane has, tra- has trained to be a dragon rider since she was a child, but is forced to make a choice that could see her life unravel. Meanwhile, the divided East and West refuse to parlay, and forces of chaos are rising from their sleep. For such a big book, I think that's the shortest I was just going to say, had. goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. Boom. Yeah. So... In this story, we have four point of views, so let's talk characters. We've got Tane, Eid, Loth, and Dr. Roos. I will let you choose which one you want to dive into first. I'll start with Tane, because I think I was, like, most drawn to her her storytelling at first. Like, the fact that she's... I don't know, I guess I was more drawn to, like, the eastern side of things and their interest in dragons and their worship of dragons because I thought that that was cooler (laughs) (laughs) and I I just like really enjoyed the fact that she is a badass lady trying to be a dragon rider it was just a really cool concept I mean she's kind of a flawed individual like all of our characters but um yeah I was I think I was like most drawn to her and I was most interested in like getting back to her story when we went to someone else's Tane, Tane interested me for sure, and I'm pretty sure she's how we opened the book uh, with her. In yeah, the it is. Yeah, out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I found her story interesting as well, and yeah, given the choice, if I could choose dragon worshippers or dragon haters, I'm going to yeah. have to go with the worshippers because yeah. dragons are super cool. Come on, guys, what yeah. are we doing here? Yeah. What was interesting about her and her story was it was giving us a lot of the history and rules of the East as we're getting to know her. And that's something I always find interesting when you're starting books. And at this point, I didn't know we had multiple point of views. And you're kind of getting that full picture all at once where it's like, okay, I'm trying to discover this character, but also this place that she's living in is so different than what I'm accustomed to that it's like, okay, what is actually going on here? So there was a little bit of that. I'm not going to say confusion because it wasn't like, oh, I'm so lost, but there was a lot of just not normal things, I would say, going on that you're trying to understand as Tane finds this man on the beach uh, when she's not supposed to be out and has to decide what she's going to do with him. So I was definitely, definitely drawn to her too, because even though I think they're all relatively the same age, other than Dr. Roos, obviously, she seemed like the youngest of the batch. Uh, And she's gone through a hell of a lot of training and has devoted her life to it and has risen from, you know, a a lesser of, you know, a small fishing village into a dragon rider, hopeful, that Mm -hmm. obviously she's not as young as she is probably by age, but she just seemed to be that that younger person that uh, I was drawn to as well, because you're just rooting for her instantly. And you want to see her beat out kind of the bullies at school and everything else that she's going through. 
for me, I really enjoyed Eid, I guess, the best. Uh, I, I was just interested with her because her secrecy was just so much deeper. And it was like definitely spy versus spy level stuff where it's like, yeah. who is this person and what's going on? And uh, especially with her, where we see her with the assassination of the assassin protecting Queen Sabrin, you can tell that there's a lot going on here. Uh, but also she's going to give us that strong female lead as well. And I I wrote down that with Eve, she was like the one that I wanted most to know more about all her secrets and stuff. She was like kind of the more fascinating one, you know, in terms of like layer unlayering the onion. Yeah, and that's one of the things, especially earlier on, that I loved the most about Eid is how she could just hide in plain sight. But her her whole starting, where we learn about her, that she has been this lady in waiting for the queen for eight years and pretending to be this part of society when really she's an outsider, which is already frowned upon. She even has to move to... Uh, yeah, convert, convert to the virtue dumb because, you know, she is a heretic for loving the Dawn singer, I think they called her or whatever, before yeah. she came there. She like has this entire poker face for eight years that never falls while also being a badass, like assassin oh. protector, everything. Like, yeah, I was like, Eid, Eid for days. It's yeah, Eid awesome. is really cool. So th- then we have Loth and Loth, I also loved, I loved, well, I loved 75% of these characters. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who that leaves. Yeah. <laughs> but Lost Story, the the thing that stood out to me and the, the first point I wanted to make was we finally found a fantasy story with a strong female lead that actually had a male friend who was her friend without wanting to fuck her. And like, not just her, but like, other female like main characters that he also did not want to fuck it was incredible like and he wasn't gay yeah right or and he didn't have to announce in the first two minutes of meeting that he was asexual like he was sexual he just could have friends and be great friends to them that were women totally platonic yeah oh laugh was great I instantly loved that uh, about him and just how faithful he was, you know, everything he did. And again, because of that, everything he goes through, he does for Sabrin and Ines, Ines being the country that they're from, without wanting anything more than to help his friend. It was just so awesome. And I'm so glad that didn't change. Pre-spoiler, spoiler, but that didn't change it didn't have right. that normal like oh you know we've been best friends since we were six but now i noticed that she's actually kind of pretty like yeah uh, like friendship is such a great basis for a romantic relationship we should so, just probably have one of those yeah so I, I thought he was great uh his matchup with kitston was real fun they're kind of back and forth that we had early on as they were getting exiled exiled yeah because of that friendship because yeah you know one of the dukes of virtuedom didn't believe that they could just be platonic and it was ruining the queen's uh chances of finding a, a husband with loth being so close to her so get him out get him out for good silly silly things virtuedom i'm not here for you it is so overrated for so sure. overrated and then there's roos then there's dr nicholas roos who when we we're first introduced to him we we're first introduced to him through tane with the man 
the man that they find on the beach, uh, because that's one thing we learned about their world in the East. There's no outsiders. They're so worried about the red sickness, which is a sickness caused by the, the evil draconic worms of the West that will spread like wildfire. And these all being island kingdoms, obviously it's there's nothing more threatening to them. Yeah. So no survivors are allowed to, to live here. But Tane finds this man that she sneaks out when she's not supposed to. She's supposed to be in seclusion and it's choosing day and it's choosing day when they're supposed to be picking dragon riders that are actually going to have dragons to ride. And if she blows the alarm, then that will all be canceled. Everything she's worked for will be canceled. Well, what am I going to do with it? With this guy? Okay, I'm going to have my friend Susa take him to Dr. Roos on this island of exiles where there's only 20 people that live there. And and we'll just hide him away till after the choosing ceremony and then we'll figure it out from there. I feel like... Couldn't she just have like, I mean, she's not this type of person, but I feel like a lot of problems would have just like been gone if she'd like snuffed him out. Done a little bit of killing. Just yeah, a just little a murder. Little just a little murder. Or just like he was already like kind of out of it, right? Because he'd just been like shipwrecked or something. Yeah. So like just kind of drown him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what you're talking about. Drown him a little bit, put some rocks on his feet, you know, yeah, we'll find him eventually. That's like, and if they did that we wouldn't have had to have nicholas roos in this story which would have been great so that's how we're introduced to roos i assumed that that would be it you know and then we start getting his voice and i was like wait what why why are we spending time with this guy and the longer we spent with roos the more i didn't like him and you're not supposed to, to be fair he's a very bitter exiled older man who hates lost the love of his life so he's just like angry at everything lost the love of his life and fell down a liquor bottle and blames the queen because he told queen sabrin that he could give her the elixir of life because he's an alchemist part-time alchemist uh but of course he can't and then when jan his lover and best friend dies he just goes spiraling and basically wastes all the queen's money and then when she exiles him he's like what the fuck what did i do this is much (laughs) uh so yeah and he his arc it's crazy to see where he starts and where he ends up and kind of everywhere he goes but i feel like there's a that's one misstep with painting him that way and kind of making him the antagonist towards tane especially where he is in the beginning trying to foil her every chance he gets because he thinks she kind of screwed him over which she did by bringing this stranger having susa bring this stranger to his door but then I just don't like this guy. It's like getting the Aladdin story and having too much of Jafar. Like, I already don't like this guy. Why are we Why spending are we more time here? And again, so, this book being so big, it's like, I don't, I'd rather spend this time somewhere else or cut agreed. this part out. And granted, yeah. it all comes back in the end. But still, as you're getting into it, it's kind of like, ah, do we have to go back to Roos? Yeah, he was, um, he was definitely like a frustrating narrative creature. I do feel like from a what we were talking about before with like how things work out i don't think like that the story could have been connected as easily as it was without having his side of things because he was like kind of the not necessarily the catalyst but he was like a very much like a a connection point for a few different things does like make sense that he was around but he was definitely i was like why are we still why are we hanging out with him i don't want to hang out with him I, um, I did feel bad for him with the whole Jan thing like that 
his his backstory gave me some feelings, but his like current story just kind of made me meh. Yeah, but I, I do think you're onto something there with the connecting points because he is really our only, well, I guess Eden Law do do some traveling as well, but he kind of mm-hmm. goes to places that they don't. And he gets more of the full story. And yeah. maybe that's a part of this being a standalone novel, whereas she's writing this she's probably thinking like okay how am i going to like i need a, a vehicle. whole picture of the world yeah so Rus yeah. will be that vehicle as he yeah. does get off orosima and he starts kind of going to these different places and finding himself in just different situations with people we wouldn't have met otherwise yes. and now we're getting more of that story and again he does play a part uh in the end and whatever but it was just kind of like you painted in such a way that it's like spending time with your mortal enemy pretty much like i don't want to spend that much time with my mortal enemy so but it was like from a from a vehicle standpoint it does make sense to like have a character that we've already met and we know a little bit about rather than being like and then here's this random like person on a ship somewhere in a sea that you've never heard of you know what i mean it gave us like a connection to the things that we were like having to learn about yeah, exactly. And uh, that kind of leads us to our next uh, question, which is a lot of this world building was done through storytelling and recounting of old myths through characters. I was wondering what you thought of that um, and also of the world. Um, I thought the world was pretty epic. I mean, there's a lot of like background and history, like it's borderline like she wrote a history book for this imaginary world which is like really intense and daunting there was like quite a lot of the book though that felt kind of like tolkien-esque in its descriptions and a little bit i don't want to say boring but it was like why is there so much of this like there's something to be said for world building that is done more succinctly and again and I keep comparing this in my mind to name of the wind because I think it was like a similarly large hefty volume um I don't remember what the page count was on that one but the world building in that was done less dryly if that makes sense like this felt like um like somebody who has a love of history and dates and you know, this person did this that time and there's like myths and legends and that's all cool. But it felt like that was almost more of the focus than the current storyline, which I get like you kind of need to have some of that history and backstory and myths to understand the current storyline. But I feel like there's a way to do it that's not 800 pages. Yeah, it was interesting because I've seen this uh, compared to Tolkien or this work compared to Tolkien in a lot of different ways, not just you saying it when we were texting the other day. And and I (laughs) agree with that. And it's interesting. Again, I have this struggle where it's the standalone novel against the trilogy. Like I I do believe there's something incredible about writing a book and just saying, this is it. I put in all this work for this one book. Here it is. And I want you to enjoy that. I'm not going to give you a cliffhanger. I'm not going to extend this and kind of leave you on the teeth for three books. Like, let's just, here it is. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am great novel, cool, I'm going to work something else now. So I feel like that's what she was going for while also trying to do the Tolkien part, where Tolkien uses like fellowship to really just give you the world. And if you go back and read that or even watch the film, there's not a ton of action. You're you're learning about the world. Well, we did that here while also having that overlaying like 
well, the battle of the nameless one, the nameless one is coming, you know, we, we need to prepare another age of grief, it is coming. So it was interesting with those decisions where she creates this epic showdown a thousand years in the making that has myth tied to it, that has mythological creatures, that has mythological weaponry and, and there's religions and like and religions are based off of the last battle and yeah. all this other stuff. So now she, for her story to be complete, she's saying, well, okay, oh shit, you need to know about this. Like I wonder again, we always talk about the editing process. Was it like shit, okay, we kind of got there and like they needed this, but we didn't really talk about that. So how am I going to fit that in there? Because I need you to understand where that comes from. And this then all of a sudden it was 800 pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. so like, it's almost like trying to write spoilers for this. This is a very long spoiler section, but you have to see like, what can I cut out? Because there are things in here that could have been cut out to reduce the story, to reduce the size. And Yes, and not and not diminished the story, in my opinion. Right. And yes, it's cool. Okay, you wrote an 800 page book. That's incredible. Yeah. But there's something to be said about whether or not it needed to be because, again, if you're doing it as a standalone, and as I said, she's kind of decided to use this world for other stories, but maybe not the same characters. Right. But if you're selling this as a standalone, you need to condense or figure out your myth work as well. Because, yeah, you're just putting it in. Now, the one thing I will say that I did appreciate, and it's similar to what happened in California, uh, the book by Eden Lepucky we talked about a few episodes ago, where it wasn't just like, sit down and have a history lesson. Oh, I yeah. came across the history of Ines, and this is what they told me. It <laughs> right. was, but tell me the the, the tale of whatever. Uh, tell me the tale of Galleon, or Galleon the Brave, whatever, of the saint, the original saint. How did Virtudum come to be? And then whatever this this one-legged pirate on the ship would be like oh i know that story i'll tell you <laughs> and then they go off on it so i did appreciate that where it was through dialogue that we learned right. these stories and how it did quite quite often where it was like oh you know sabrin at one point to test Eid is like why don't you tell me the story of the saint and his battle with the nameless one. So it wasn't just always like, sit down, kids, and I'll tell you a story. It was like tests and other things. It was things like as they the actual up. narrative. Yeah. Yes. So I did appreciate that part of it. But again, you built such a huge world and tried to sink so much into it that it just added, like, we talked about this before too. Like, I haven't read another book since I finished this because I was worried about how much I would lose of this. Like, I never think that way with a podcast book, but there's just so much here that it's like, even as I was thinking about the rundown or like processing it after I read it, it was like, wait, did this happen? Did that, like, yeah, trying to keep it all straight, there was a lot. There's a lot going on. And like, even just like, the character not the main character names and the main characters that was all well and fine and like I felt as though the, those characters that we were familiar with were pretty well fleshed out so I feel like she did a really good job with that there was just like a bombardment of other characters and other names and I think maybe because it was just trying so hard to be like historical that there was there was just a lot to to keep in your brain I mean like you like you said I also I usually am like listening to an audiobook while I'm reading the podcast book not while I'm doing it but like <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, no. not simultaneously um, in simultaneously. the same amount of time as I am reading the podcast book I generally have like other books going and I couldn't because I was like there's just too much happening I mean I I do feel like 
the epicness of the world building was paramount. And I do feel like her story was, and the characters that she created were strong enough to maybe sit and be without so much of that in-depth history. Like you could have given me the Cliff Notes version of some of that stuff and I wouldn't have, and the and the current story wouldn't have been diminished. Yeah, there was quite a bit of that, especially when dealing with Sabrin yeah. uh, and her talking about the history of the Barathonets and it'd be like, well, that was, you know, Galleon II and this was whatever, uh, whatever. There was just so many of those names and like they only had four names that they kept recycling for the Queens. And then you're three. like, well, which one are you talking about? Yeah. Am I supposed to know that? It's, like, yeah, exactly. Who? It's like, which, where are we? Like, yeah. that's just way, way too much. And I can also understand that that is how a lot of monarchies work yeah Mm -hmm. like i i get that but also again when you're putting it in here it's like okay how much did i need to know about galleon the third compared to galleon the fourth or whatever yeah it it was just again i guess a little nitpicky but also just because it is so large that you have to i think uh think about your readers and I, i think it needs i think it needed a little bit more cutting down in order to flow a little bit better and and not leave that kind of like multiple confusions. Well, and I feel like, I feel like when I'm reading it, I'm getting so bogged down in trying to suss out like, who is this person she's referencing or that they're talking about in this historical situation that I'm like losing the actual like plot of the story. Not really losing, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely muddies the water. And that is a part of it, too, where the whole quest side of this thing, especially once we see, you know, what we need to do to beat the Nameless One, that did seem to kind of get sidelined every once in a while as it's getting bogged down with other other things or as the side quests are taking us more into the lore and more into the history so i I definitely understand what you're saying there where it's like okay this is cool i'm really glad that like eden meg did this thing and i'm glad that they did it together that's super fun but then also (laughs) like all this other stuff happened in there where it's like here's another uh you know mind dump of everything you need to know about this background (laughs) yeah okay why were we here now I exactly It just felt like there was there was just too much to keep track of or that it was like I was being asked to keep track of as a reader that it kind of I don't want to say it made it less fun, but I was like I did find myself putting it down quite a bit because I was just feeling like weighed down by the weight of it in its physicality, but also by like the historical and like just all the like superfluous info that felt like we weren't progressing the story and then it got to page like five something and I was like oh okay like this is moving at a better clip yeah and I do wonder if it gets if it takes a knock for being a podcast book because definitely when I read to enjoy I read much different than when I read for the podcast I still enjoy it but I'm trying to think like okay what are we going to talk about trying to remember more of it so it's like trying to keep that all in your head and this book definitely is one that you just need a really big head to keep all of that information in well and this is a book I went out and bought little doohickeys um little post-it doohickeys that actually Nern had in one of the books she lent me and I was like that's fucking brilliant because this book is like too there's too much going on like some of the other books I can be like oh okay like it was probably right around here and like open and find a page 
not so with this book. So having these little doohickeys was really handy to just be like, oh yeah, I want to remember that really great line or whatever. Yeah. The last thing I will say about the world building, something that I thought made it more believable for fantasy world, which I think you have to do, is the way that the religions worked and how it wasn't just one religion under all. It was, they all had their different beliefs and then they had their feuds because of it. I mean, the East and the West were not on trading terms for a thousand years because of in the West, where they faced the grief of ages the hardest, they dealt with the draconic worms, they call them instead of dragons. Uh, and, and they had to deal with that and kind of the chaos that they ensued and they had to defeat them. There was a lot of sacrifice and there was great battles there. And then in the East, they worship the sea dragons and they ride the sea dragons. And they're even like, they have one that sits with their emperor who is also kind of like a counselor for him. Like they, it is so different that it has caused this rift since the great one was defeated a thousand years ago where they consider them heretics, but you couldn't get two further different beliefs of religion, especially and, and kind of who their saints and heroes are. It was you have that, and then you have the in-between as well, where there's even more religion elsewhere that they're also butting heads with. And yeah, I agree a little bit on this and not on that. And there was a lot of that in there as well that, again, makes it more believable, but it's also more things that you have to remember when you're like, oh, now we're in a scallon. And it's like, what do they believe? What you know, What's their setup? Blah, blah, blah. It's just yeah. so much to, to kind of, again, just keep track keep of in your head yeah yeah I mean I uh, had a lot of thoughts about the east and likening it to the Tamarare series with like the imperial dragons and stuff and how like the eastern I don't want to call it religions but the eastern countries are more like dragons are part of our world and like we respect them and then I mean this is a little different but like France and England are like they're just tools yeah whereas Innes is like we fucking hate them <laughs> they're all the evil yeah, yeah. And, and especially since like they it's it's it is very similar to Samurai because like they communicate you mm-hmm. know we see that with Niamh Athan I would that name <laughs> all the names oh uh, I have so many problems <laughs> but it's similar to Tamarare is they have such a knowledge and like yeah. they outlive their riders so yeah. they have you know, centuries of knowledge that they're willing to share if you're willing to listen. And that's where, like, again, you were saying you're kind of more drawn to the East in this book. That would make more sense because why would you not listen to these, you know, genius? It's like, listen to your elders, but not, not, not the dragons there. That's too much. That's too far. You need to respect the saint. Okay. Also, not for nothing, the whole religiosity aspect of it, just like really me mostly because I just have like a fundamental problem with like organized religions on the whole but that like I thought it was very realistic in that the religions mostly virtuedom but um even the southern religions were both like based on a myth or a legend whatever but they had like interpreted it differently or like they had a different truth of it and I thought that was just so fergin accurate (laughs) In that, like, it's all about how this belief system is all based on how somebody's interpreted the past or the history or whatever. I've often said that, you know, during the time of Jesus, it could have just been a few guys that got together and wrote some funny stories about their friend. And then the book was lost and it was found, you know, whatever, 200 years later. And people were like, no, this makes sense. 
Yeah, let's start a religion. Um, I did appreciate that Galleon was like, this is exactly what I'm doing. Worship me. Also, here's my story. I'm great. And here's your religion. Yeah. Um, Which totally freaking tracks. Did you ever read Lamb by Christopher Moore? I did, yeah. That I all anytime I like hear any kind of like religious thing, I'm like, that is freaking great. It's a great book. (laughs) And just like in this book, they kind of they took the parts they wanted and the rest were forgotten by time. Same thing. I mean, that is organized religion right there. (laughs) Yeah. So I did appreciate Um, that we were just very upfront about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that the the eastern aspect was like just so much more fascinating to me i mean the southern one was cool too but like i don't know the whole we're slayers of dragons but we kind of don't discriminate bugged me yeah (laughs) it's like it's quite clear that they're different yeah and wouldn't you like wouldn't you i i don't know yeah and can you imagine like badass like priory of the orange tree sisters on dragonback that would just be like amazing (laughs) really would turn the tides you know it really would i feel like maybe that could be a thing i'd read the fuck out of that (laughs) maybe someday yeah so the last character she's not a point of view for us but she obviously plays a huge role in this was sabrin uh so i was wondering what you thought of the queen of ines and uh kind of her part in this story like you said we we didn't get her as like a storyteller but i felt like she was a character who didn't really know or couldn't really know herself. And so like for a long time, neither did us as the readers. I think that she was a really cool character once she was able to kind of like become herself, (laughs) if that makes sense. I think that this is like a pretty good commentary on the whole young monarch scenario or young ruler where like some adult has to like basically puppet master them because they're so young which i think probably happens like in our current world i mean some fully grown adults are puppeteered but i think that that was very like true to form in that regard but i thought she was pretty cool in that she was like bucking the system to be like i know that i need to have an heir Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get married. And I don't really want to have a kid. Like, I can feel you, Sabrin. Neither do I. But that she she was really strong, a strong female lead. I mean, I, yes, she wasn't a narrator for us, but she was still a lead for sure. And she she was very willing to, more willing than I would have expected a queen to be, to concede when she was maybe not right about something or like, to recognize that she had stuff still to learn or like her opinion about a thing was able to be changed. You know, she wasn't like this spoiled brat type scenario. Yeah. And especially as the book goes on, you see more of that strength come from her. I found her very interesting when we first started with her because she felt like she was really strong on some of her stances and then incredibly blind to other ones which I didn't feel like made sense like she was so strong in fighting the dukes and duchesses of the committee or council whatever when it came to getting married when it came to having a child she kept finding new ways to put that off but somehow Loth is like secreted and exiled from her right from under her nose when they spend like every day together Like, how does that work out with no repercussions for the, I think it was the Duke of 
courtesy that did it. I don't whatever. His yeah, name I don't was. know the Nighthawk. Yeah, the Nighthawk. Thank you. That's a good way of putting it because that was his nickname. Uh, <laughs> like that didn't make sense to me, or how she was like so strong in her opinions and this strong female lead, like you were saying. But then, like in the next page, you would see how easily she was being molded into a different shape. Yeah, to be yeah. like, okay, this person wants you to fit in this box, so they're gonna just kind of use you this way and and set you off. So like she was a bit bipolar in that sense where it was like, okay, I, I thought we were going this way. Now, Sabrina, why, why are you taking a step back? And granted, like you're saying, I think she became queen at like 13 or 14 or something yeah, like that. 14. So she was um, raised or whatever she puppeted by her, the people around her, by her council members who are much older. So obviously I'm sure some of that falls into her just being comfortable and trusting of them, which we see you shouldn't always do. And the like death of her mother was pretty traumatic for her because she was like right there. And like, I think that they say a couple of times that she's basically like, as some of this lineage of rulers, she's basically like depressed. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, how could you not be in that scenario? Yeah. And and because of the death of her mother, she like doesn't go out in public. Like there's a lot yeah. of things that, yeah, that definitely affected her a lot. And I'm she sure that dance people... anymore, which like, that's sad. She's never going to dance again. <laughs> and I feel like the people around her take advantage of that. In order... yeah. It's always that way. No matter what kind of no. ruler it is, the people around them are the ones that are calling the shots. And it's always to make things better for them. For them. Yeah. It was like, they're all in it for their own gain, um, which like, as a ruler, I if I ever was a ruler, if I, feel I like, ruled the world. Yeah, if I ruled the world, I would like really have a hard time trusting the people near to me, and I would need to like, especially if I like, if they already existed and I came into power, like fucking get rid of them, bring in my own crew. Yeah, totally I, different ball game. It's the same thing when people get rich or famous overnight. Yeah. You know, it's like if. The Find people weren't there with you are. before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, suddenly you've got 17 cousins you didn't know about. <laughs> but yeah, but with Sabrin, there was so much to her. I felt like the exact opposite of the way I felt with Roos. Like, I felt mm. like there was so much good in her. And like, we saw yeah. the, the thorns on her, the bristles, uh, especially when she was interacting with Eid, uh at first, that I was like, no, no, there's there's something great in here. Like, I, I could tell, obviously, like, she's, she again, not being the point of view, but being that the House of Barathenet is like the overarching story here, I knew she was going to play an important role. And I was like, she's going to come around. She's going to be that change. Okay. Are you ready for this? So I like, don't know. so get ready. So I feel like she is this like really strong beacon of hope for her people, but she's been like molded so much that there's all this like clay around her and Eid and Meg and Loth and all the people that like, are really important to her and really help her to like become her true self are like scraping away the clay. And then she's just like, ah, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> I told you to get ready. I was not ready for, ah, <laughs> great. I mean, are we ever really oh, ready I for don't that? think so. It was great though. So uh, just to keep the story moving along, we do see eventually after multiple attempts on Saber and she realizes that the quest for eternal life is not something that's going to fall into her lap. And she does agree to take a husband who is Albright or something like that. Albrecht is Albrecht. what I was saying. L- Livellen. 
Yeah, Lavelle. So I was saying, yeah. But I uh, really liked him. Yes. And he also seemed like, even though it was this guy who was after her for a long time, her suitors were after her for quite a while. Uh, but after her because she's a fucking queen. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, without knowing each other, he was after Well, her. yeah, I mean, they that's like them. what, that's what other rulers of other play. That's what they do. Yeah. That's how they roll. But he was solid. And like, they so did, solid. even in their short time together, like five or six months, she, they, there's love there. Uh, yeah. yeah. I really did appreciate that. And Me I, too. I, it was the exact opposite of like the book eater scenario, which was even yes. better. Well, and I do feel like, you know, she was sort of a reluctant bride, but I do feel like he was the perfect person to kind of like genuinely thaw some of that ice. I don't think he was like doing it to benefit it does benefit him, but I don't think that that was like his only goal. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that really affected her. Like the whole, that that helped her to become more of herself, but it also was like another like punch to the depression gut. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially after what happens in spoilers. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to keep everyone up to date on that if you haven't read the book and you're sticking around so spoilers will make more sense for you but yeah. before we yeah. get to spoilers we do have your get to know your podcaster question so everyone in virtuedom which is an s and that's their religion the religion of the saint uh must choose one of the six to be their patron saint and to be the guide for how they live their life i was wondering which of the six would you choose and why out of justice temperance courage fellowship generosity or courtesy well, it wouldn't be temperance. Mm, I thought that too. I, was, I told you, I was like, I had to Google temperance. And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not that one. So <clears throat> first of all, would not choose virtuedom. <laughs> Bring yes. me to the East and get me on that train. But I would say probably generosity or maybe courtesy. But this was like, I was looking in the book for some helpful information of not of which I did not find any about what courtesy would be like is that we were talking before like is that just being nice is it just like Like you can never have a bad day like I thought you were the patron saint of courtesy (laughs) yeah yeah like I only open doors for other people and like I do that but like I wasn't really sure if I understand that one but I feel like it would be either of those two because like none of the others really like fit with my oh come on I, I went with fellowship. Uh, oh, okay. I think you could go fellowship, I guess is what I'm saying. I guess I could, but I'm not very like, I'm not very social or outgoing. Like, I don't want to throw a party. But <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, like I see fellowship as like, ch- like you choose your fellowship. You choose oh, your fellowship. Like I'm okay. not, I'm not saying, at least for me, my interpretation, again, like you said, there was no real guidance here. No, no helpful <laughs> info was like that you would be somebody that somebody could rely on. And that's kind of okay. how I saw it. So it would be like the your group, your the your friends. Your people. Yeah. Like the decisions you make would be based on not just what's best for you, but what's best for everyone. Or like okay. you would be there to help, things like that. Like for me I was totally like this is a party planner patron saint. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone I am not. <laughs> everyone come to our phone party yeah. next Saturday. It would be great. Uh, fellowship fellowship all yeah no I definitely saw that differently as like you've already set up your group and it's just about like how 
how you live your life isn't based just on you. It's based on the entire group or, you know, parts and pieces of it as it goes. So I definitely went fellowship. I would not go courage because how many times was Loth like, oh, well, you know, I'm the saint of courage. So I'm going to do this crazy thing. And I was like, oh, Loth, no. I was going to say, to be fair, he like really brought it home though. Oh, he like, did. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. You lived up to no, it. No, that would I'm not be saying. me though. Yeah, I would not. No, thank you, Loth. So there you have it. Feel free to let us know in the comments which uh, which patient saint you would have chose. Also, how wrong we got some of those because <laughs> we might have. <laughs> That's fine too. Uh, so on that note, we are going to jump into spoilers and start digging into this book uh, as I feel like we've been tiptoeing around it as usual. So uh, first you have your song. So... This is the part that we're going into spoilers. If you don't know the book, get out. Because this is the part that we're going into spoilers. It's time to learn what the Priory's all about in spoilers. After an assassination attempt kills Sabrin's husband, a white dragon attacks her city and stabs her in the stomach, killing her unborn heir. She finds solace in Eid, and soon the two begin a romantic relationship that is quickly discovered. A member of the governing council tries to kill Eve, but she is able to escape, and with the help from some friends, eventually returns to the Priory of the Orange Tree. There she reunites with Loth and discovers one of the two celestial jewels hidden in the crypt of the Mother. The Prioress tries to take the stone from Eve and kill her, but once again Eve manages to escape and take Loth with her back to a nest in Sabrin. When they return, they find the city is in disarray and no one has seen the Queen for weeks. They sneak into the castle and find a coup ongoing by the Lady of Justice and her minions. With the help of knights still loyal to the queen, they are able to end the coup and free Sabrin, who is now deathly sick. They nurse her back to health, and Eid tells them all she has learned on her travels, about how the Nameless One will return this spring, and that they must find allies, the second celestial jewel, and Ascalon, the fabled sword of the Saint Galleon. Eden and Meg head to her family estate in Goldenburg, as their ancestors are said to be the only people Galleon trusted at the end. Meg sits with her father, who is losing his mind to dementia, and he tells her the family secret and what they are protecting. Meg and Eid go to retrieve the sword, but as they are making their way home, they are attacked by Caliba, the Witch of Ineska, who reveals that she is not only the White Dragon, but also the first mother in the line of Barathnets, as she is immortal. She takes Ascalon from them and flees. They return to Ines, defeated, but decide to focus on finding the other jewel in the east, knowing that Calibah will come to the final battle, and they will have to take Ascalon from her then. Before they can leave, Eid is struck down by a sister of the Priory who believes she is a traitor. The poison that is meant to kill her puts her in a coma. Because of this, Loth volunteers to lead the mission to the east and sets sail to try and arrange a peace treaty with the nation of dragon lovers that have been marked heretics for the last 1,000 years. As they get close to the other side of the world, a nasty storm causes them to beach on an island where they seek shelter from the seas. While there, Tane single-handedly takes control of the ship and leaves using her celestial jewel that she found sewn under her skin in order to try and rescue her dragon, Nyamathan, from pirates. Of the crew on the ship, she only keeps Loth and the navigator Tim alive. With the stone's power, they make incredible speed and catch up to the pirates on the island of Komoridu, where the fabled mulberry tree that grants eternal life was. She uses the stone again and manages to defeat the pirates, steal their key, and release Nyamathan with help from Loth. They then head to the Emperor of the Twelve Lakes to offer the treaty. 
The emperor is wise and young and agrees to the plan and does not push for marriage with Sabrin as part of the deal. He allows Tane to take Nyamathan to the west in order to deliver the news so the queen may mobilize. On her way, she agrees to go to the orange tree to receive its fruit as Loth believes this is the only thing that will bring Eid back and they need her to use the other stone during the final battle. On her way there, Nyamathan is shot down by Sisters of the Priory and unable to keep flying. They manage to escape to the river and Tane is left to complete her task on foot. At the Priory, she is helped by Eid's guardian Chasser, who directs her to the orange tree where she receives the fruit and then watches as Kaliba kills the Prioress and claims the Priory for her own. Tane barely escapes and is later picked up by Parspa, Chasser's giant bird that carries her the rest of the way to Ines. Here she meets with the queen and brings Eid back to life with the fruit. Battle plans are drawn and the group with a new alliance with the East and South head out to do battle against the Nameless One as he rises from the abyss in the middle of the sea. Before the battle, Calibus sends Dr. Roos to Sabrin with a blade made of staring or star magic to use in order to kill Eid, but he doesn't. Finally seeing the error of his selfish ways, he confesses to the queen his misdeeds and surrenders to her. When the battle begins, Caliba is focused on Tane, believing that Eid has already been killed. As the two battle, a shadow removes itself from the background, and using the staring blade she had given Roos, Eid kills the Lady of the Wood. Now with Asculin in hand, Tane goes after the Nameless One on the back of Nyamathan, who shows up in the middle of the battle. Tane loses Asculin before she can deal the killing blow, but uses her other sword to break off the damaged scale on the Nameless One's chest. Eid sees where Asplin lands and swims to that ship. As she raises the sword, the Nameless One crashes into her and she is able to get the blade up and into the exposed skin of the dragon. It recoils in pain and starts throwing fire everywhere. Eid is picked up by Tane and Nyamathan and then together using the celestial jewels, they bind the Nameless One to the abyss once and for all. After the battle, Roos is allowed to return to his home in Mentenden. Tane has reclaimed her spot in the Sea Guard because of her bravery during the battle. Loth tends to his family's land in Goldenburge until a letter from the Princess of Iskallen has him returning to her. Eid is chosen to be the next prioress of the Orange Tree, the highest honor, and Sabrin returns to Ines to rule and help lead the reformation of her people. She says it will take a decade and then she will abdicate so she can be reunited with Eid and they can find the Milk Lagoon, a fabled haven for lovers. So intense. So much. 800 pages into one yeah done and done so we have a lot of secrets and twists revealed throughout the book what were some that stood out to you okay so the one that i wrote down was caliba sabrin's progenitor and a dragon like what and then like that happens and then like it's borderline never brought up again i mean like that's not really accurate but like that should, I feel like that should be a bigger deal. I mean, that's like the whole breaking of Virgidum, right? Uh, that whole sequence of events. And Sabrin takes it like on the chin so Way easily. Cooler. She's like, nuts. okay. She's like, makes sense. Yeah, I always thought there was something weird about our religion. I wish everyone could see it that way. Anyway, uh, that was what we were discussing earlier, where Eid and Meg go on that side quest to find Asgillin. And then when Caliba comes, there's this whole like, dialogue scenario where we learn the truth about a lot of stuff all at once in the middle of the side question you're like wait what was going on here because this is so much so much and then it's like okay well we came and we did all this stuff to get the sword and oh, now it's gone but and then we just handed it to her okay. Oof, our bad yeah but uh, like we didn't even really try to keep it 
<laughs> but I will give Caliba credit. Her story okay. is insane. Yeah. Like, absolutely crazy. So, like, she ends up raising ga- Galleon, Galleon, I don't know. Galane is how I was saying it, Galane but that probably is wrong. Sounds more knightly. Uh, Doesn't it? It does. So she raises him, makes the sword Asculin out of Starin and fire magic, I forget what that was called, makes this incredible weapon, and then he just, like, runs off to kill the Nameless One without her. Meets Cleo. It was Sidon. Sidon. Just like freaking very yeah, you're right. Very close. Yeah. Sidon. Uh Sadar Satan. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So he runs off to kill the nameless one because he wants glory. And then this is where he meets Cleoland, who uh is the mother in terms of their religion, that she is the one who eventually creates the priory of the orange tree, because she in real life is the one who kills the nameless one, or locks him in the abyss uh, as best she can with Naporo, a woman of the East. But the story of Virtudum is Galen, as he's coming back from that, or after he defeats, sorry, he defeats the Nameless One, he won Cleolin's hand. But what really happened was at this point, uh, Caliva has fallen in love with the baby she has raised and decided, yep, decided a little Oedipus complex is going to happen here disguises herself as Cleoland to be in love with him, to be married, to give him an heir. Uh, but at some point that mirage slips and he sees who she truly is and he abandons his throne and hangs himself. Goes and kills himself. Rid of her. And now she's left immortal. And this whole line now believes that they are the children of Cleoland because that's who she appeared to be. So that again confusing even probably just talking about that right there was a little bit confusing but it was just incredible that their whole world their whole story of virtue based on not the right thing at all was all based on lies and not the right person and literally the like the witch uh, of the woods the lady of the woods the witch of Inesca is feared they tell people that like if you go out in the woods children they'll like eat you they're gonna find you and that's the woman who started your line of kings or sorry queens who protect you from the nameless one so it's kind of a funny irony there that it's totally and all of that is a lot but then she's casually like i'm also a dragon or a worm whatever i'm also one of the like what is it the high westerns yes um like what the fuck I assume that is because her power, her main power comes from Starin, which is the power of the dragons. And they did say that the dragons used to transform into people. So I don't know if that's because she comes from the Hawthorne tree, right? There's three magical trees. Or there were two of them are gone. The Hawthorne tree it's and the Mulberry tree much are going gone. On here. So, hey, are you, are you following along listeners? And so I don't know if that's what it is, if that's what makes her. I don't think she's actually originally a dragon. I think she was just originally a person. But where she got her power from makes it her ability to change shapes lets her be a dragon. That actually makes a lot more sense because this whole time I was like, all right, like, fine. If she's like the main progenitor of the Berethnet line or whatever, and all of the queens look like her or similar to her, fine. But how are none of them also dragon-esque? Yes. Dra- yeah. A bit dragony. I think that is uh, a side effect of the Hawthorne tree. Okay, sure. that I can accept. Okay. A big one that stood out to me was how Tane 
was, was a descendant one. of Naporo, who was the woman of the East who helped bind the Nameless One with Cleolin. And you know that because after Naporo, let's get more confusing, she is the only one to have eaten of the mulberry tree, which grants immortal life. But after she had ruled her kind of island of misfits, shout out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, she <laughs> had uh, gone back to like live a quiet life in a fishing village and like found a husband. Yeah, and started a line there. So to protect the stone, they would just sew it into their skin as children until, you know, yeah. And then sew it into the next baby when it came. So I did find it interesting that we learned about the fish hook scar on Tane's face right off the bat, because that's how Roos identifies her later on, because he hears the story from the boy founder. But then like, yeah, it's much later where she's like, oh, I got this new scar from a wound that I got in sea dragon training or whatever. But also I have this other old one that's just been here that is kind of a lump that I don't know what it is. And it's like, you've never. And then I've always had it. And like when she's in the Feather Island, when she's like been exiled, exiled, she is like, oh, it hurts from time to time. Like what you're telling me it's hurting you being a scholar and it didn't hurt you training to be a dragon rider i feel like this was one of those scenarios where she was like oh fuck i gotta have somebody that matches up with this let me just call it this one like tana was already really cool and it totally makes sense that she would be like the eastern side of what needs to happen thousand years later but like what (laughs) (laughs) why have we not talked about this before also how have you ever like it's a fucking stone. I assume it moves around. Like, I'm, you know, like, why would you not be digging that out? Oh, it's just like life? a casual tumor I've had my whole life. Yeah, casual tumor. What did the, the doctor that came to look at it was like, I think it's a bone spur. And then she was like, okay, we'll open it up and we'll take it out. And then like all hell will break loose and you'll just have this like fucking open wound in your side. <laughs> oh, man, that was really dramatic, that whole bit. That was, and honestly, it felt like more and more of these things that were revealed were to make it the most dramatic it could be. Uh, Another one I put down was we learned at one point that Eid's mother was killed uh, while she was at the Priory. And it's always been blamed on Caliba, who was there at the time studying with the Priory or whatever. And then we find out it wasn't Caliba. It was actually the woman who then became Prioress uh, named Mita who like has given off nothing but shit vibes the entire time. Oh, she's a bitch. Yeah. Hundo person. And how is like nobody standing up to her? And it's totally one of those things where they have, I forget the name. It's like Manunga or something like that. For the kind, of, kind of the prioress in waiting. So that's what her yeah. mom, that's what Eats mom was. And now she's dead and Nita gets that role. And nobody's like, oh, that's kind of weird, don't you think? So convenient. Obviously it was Calima, you know, obviously. So that kind of stood out to me. And again, it's like, okay, cool. It makes sense. This woman that we already hate, now we can hate her more. Uh, But he doesn't even kill her. Like, you know, but she's still branded a traitor. But maybe because she didn't kill her. The sister who came to take care of Eve dilutes the poison enough that it doesn't kill her, just puts her in a coma. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of that stuff where it just seemed like we're going to make this as dramatic as possible, regardless With of as little else going consequences on. as possible. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's another thing. I don't know that this is like necessarily a surprise, but I just need to like mention how annoying I found the bit at the end where Roos comes to them after having been captured by Caliba and 
he's like, I fucking hate you, Sabre, and I'm so mad, but I'm just going to, like, turn myself in. I was really annoyed by that shift in that moment. And that was, like, a surprise to me as, like, a reader because I was, like, you know, like we talked about before, he was kind of a meh character. And he was going down this track of being, like, the antagonist to a point. Like, you felt for him, you felt for some of his story, whatever. And he was important, like we were saying, to connect some of the dots. But, like, he gets there. And, like, as the reader, it's not like you heard Caliba tell him what to do. So, right. like, he's he's telling us what the deal is and fine. But then he's also got all of this anger and animosity. And, like, you think it's going in one direction. And you're like, this tracks. This totally tracks. Then he's like... I'm just like gonna change my ways because that's what Jan would have wanted. And you're like, where did that fucking 360 degree turn come from? Or I suppose 180 because 360 would get you right back to where you were before. <laughs> but where did that come from? Like, it just seemed too perfect in the moment to like get the story where it needed to go. Like, I don't know what could have happened instead, but it was like kind of surprising to me that his character and where he got throughout this whole thing would have made it to that point in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was trying to think back and without even reading other things, I already forget kind of exactly how that all worked out. But there was also in that moment where he he says something where he's like, I want to be the grandfather for True Trudy uh, that Jan no longer is because his lover had a granddaughter who was very much like her like him and and so that's kind of what he's been holding on to i guess and so he's now he's saying like well if you'll let me back in i could be a part of trudy's life truth life and and we could go from there and then they're like oh she's super dead she was super, super uh executed for crimes against the crown and he still is like okay well here's the star blade like how would that not push him to be like, I have nothing left because what does he have left at that point? It took him so, seven years to think of true, like he for had nothing real. else going for him. I um I flagged with one of my little doohickeys the bit where he like turned because I like I liked one of the ways that it was said, but it was like very why is this happening right now? It doesn't make sense to happen right now. He had said, like, all my, I'm an alchemist all my life. I believed that the end goal of alchemy was the glorious transformation of imperfection into purity, lead into gold, disease into wellness, decay into eternal life. But now I understand. I see those were false destinations. Basically, like, goes on to say that it's like the journey, not the destination that matters. And it's like, dude, what? <laughs> like, all, all good points. But how are you just getting to those right now? I think, yeah, I don't know if it's like he finally let go of the anger he had towards Jan's death or but then the exile. There was, no reason, like, there was nothing that happened that like made him, like if anything, he was getting, he seemed to be getting more pissed at Sabrin. Yes, I agree. And he even says like his actions will then condemn Layla or whatever her name was, the interpreter from the pirate ship. Yeah. He's like the only one who was nice to him. He's like, yeah. oh, I'm giving up the, the last person who was nice. It's like, none of this makes sense for why you would be doing this, Roos. His arc in general, as we've touched on, just seemed like we said, it kind of made connections. So like other things would happen. But, you know, he leaves. Oh, they wouldn't have had that little staring blade otherwise. Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's yeah. that too cute moment where you know you know why that's there. You know why he's there. He delivers a blade that can kill Caliba. 
Yeah, you know, where like normal ones, I think would probably have more trouble like D&D. It's got to be a magical item to do damage. Right. Uh, I do feel that way. And it was kind of that with his whole travels where, you know, he gets taken out of prison and he gets sent to like the governor or whatever. And he tells his story and he basically indicts Tane. And then he is sent to the mainland where he meets up with that old doctor friend as he's on house arrest. And then it's the doctor's daughter who's also a doctor who's the one who tries to cut the stone out of Tane because she does charity work there or whatever and then he continues on he gets picked up by the pirates and he's with uh Nyamathan the dragon in the hold and he's like earning his place there and he's leading the charge to find the mulberry tree because that's what Jan of course he had that script of paper which is the only thing he had left of Jan which completes the story of the mulberry tree and how to find it and he's able to figure out the the path to it based on Jan's like last little throwaway comment to him about the bigger and smaller letters being whatever like nicholas roos was apparently the smartest luckiest fate kissed man in the world because like he wouldn't see it that way but yes yeah neither would tane but i just mean the the fact of his storyline is just so ridiculous oh my god yeah and that was like my biggest issue with this book was that it was too perfect Mm-hmm. And that I mean, too many things came together too perfectly at the oh. right time mm-hmm. in order for it to kind of work out the way it had. So the good guys could win. You know, it's a feisty and bow on top of a feisty and bow with a feisty and bow the size to put on a car at Christmas on top of it. It is just way too much that took away from the book a bit because I'm sitting there and I know this is dumb in a fantasy world. I'm saying it's not believable. I'll believe the dragons. I'll believe the name was name. This one is coming back. And that this woman who has lived for a thousand years. But serendipity, that's just too much. No, because it's like serendipity times a thousand. Thousand. It's it's 999. Fine. I'm still there. A thousand too (laughs) far with the serendipitous moments. I mean, if anything, like they could have killed Roos or whatever, or he could have, like, tried to attack one of them with the Saren Blade. Maybe it wouldn't have worked. Maybe it would have worked. And they'd still have a Saren Blade. Like, the fact that he, like, had to have this turnaround and be like, oh, I've realized the error of my ways. I'm gonna be totally different now. Was just bonkers. And why would she send him with a Saren Blade? Like, Eid is a normal person. You can just stab her to death. Could just I don't be know. A I feel like she doesn't think Eid is a normal person. Fair, but I mean, she is. Come on. Well, so like she is, but and I don't know that Caliber would know this, but the evil prioress had said something about how she based Eid is like abnormal in that how yeah. long she can last away from the tree without eating more fruit. So like maybe she is special. That's maybe fair. she's also a bargain dragon. And she does <laughs> That'd say be ironic. At one point that she sees, you know, a lot of Cleoland in her. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's some tie to that as well, well. And that would make some sense if, like, Tane is a descendant of Naporo. They're descendants of the two that... Yeah, I get another feisty and Yeah. We need them all. So the other twist or secret that I wanted to talk about was Ingrid Crest, the Duchess of Justice. And oh. her coup attempt and how we learn... Not only uh, is she trying to overthrow Sabrin, but also that she helped the king of Yskalan, uh murder her mother. 
she was a big part of that. And the only hints hints were given throughout it is beware the cup bearer because the symbol for the Duchess of Justice is cups uh, weighing justice. And she even mentions in her distorted mind, she is meant to keep people on the straight and narrow, I guess. So because- She's a fucking crazy religious zealot that's just like- Yes, because Sabrin's mother, Rosalind, was having an affair with a pirate captain or privateer, sorry, she was unpure. And when she wouldn't stop that, she was creating or causing a mortal sin, which obviously she had to pay for with her life. And she would, she was living a flawed life. So if she could mold Sabrin correctly, because she'd be a young girl who would look for guidance and I could be that guidance, we would do everything right. But then, you know, Sabrin was- got a mind of her own. Yes, not listening to her. So now we need to overthrow her too. Uh, I mean, it made sense. Again, you can see people like that doing that. And and it made for some excitement uh, when when Eid and Loth make their way back to Ines. But it was also like the easiest coup to oh stop. Oh my God, it was time. so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay, well, we'll just like tell them we've found them out and they'll give themselves up. And it was like, and that's what happened. All it took was two people were t- like, the whole retinue of ladies and lords of the virtuedom had left because they're like, oh, we'll figure it out and come back. And Loth and E just walk in. They're like, oh, okay, this is pretty easy. And Loth's like, people of the castle, fight with us. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Also, also, like, I did appreciate that when Eve figures out that it's um, Crest, she's like, ah, damn it. I was, like, so thinking that it would be the Nighthawk, which is, like, the obvious choice. So, like, I do appreciate that it was somebody, like, slightly left field, but it was, like, not, it was, like, you had two options. (laughs) One was the really obvious one, and one was, like, the obvious one. And yeah. you chose wrongly, and then it was the easiest coup ever. <laughs> the easiest end to a coup, yeah. 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 So we did kind of just do this with Roos, but I wanted to take a moment to talk about the personal journeys of our characters and what they went through from the different point of views. Uh, so with Loth, Eid, and Tane just kind of giving people who didn't read the book uh, more of kind of the background and everything they went through. I don't, I'll let you choose where you want to start. I think that... Tane's like I mean everybody's was really interesting but I appreciated that Tane's were such like a high then such a low then such a high again in terms of like becoming a dragon rider from basically being like this poor orphan girl and then not having any of that anymore (laughs) and then being like oh actually you're this like badass descendant of this badass badass and you can have your dragon back also also what the fuck the dragon's like gone for a long time and you're like probably the dragon's dead that's like i'm here we're gonna deal with this <laughs> i was waiting so long for naya to show up at the final battle it's like Same. okay and they're there Same. right no no okay oh, she does i, I think she even rides another dragon to first get to the nameless one i think oh uh, yeah with another yeah, yeah with her friend yeah. um I feel like I would have more appreciated it if the dragon had come back sooner because that was just like too icing on the cake to have it be like right in the middle of the battle. But Tane's like arch or arc of storyline was really satisfying just because it was like such a high and then such a low. And I feel like she was relatively deserving. Like, yeah, she got exiled for because of their beliefs or whatever. And she did go against those. But like, I don't think she's a bad person. (laughs) Yeah, 
that's what I have to say about her. Yeah, I agree. And with her, it was interesting. Her biggest opponent was herself. Yes. Like, you know, even after she comes clean to Nia Mathan about how she snuck out and found the guy and hid the guy and, you know, she doesn't deserve to to be the She's dragon rider. Yeah, Nia Mathan's like, I choose that. Like, I chose you. So are you saying, like, I chose wrong? Are you are you saying you know more than me? Like, yeah. you don't think I see all of you? Like, come on. And she was still like, oh, I don't know. You know, and then she gets exiled. Yeah. Then she's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm just a ghost to myself. And then uh, she had that teacher, Valor, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, when she was uh, on Feather elder, Island. Yeah. yeah, the elder. Vera, maybe. Anyway, uh, on on feather island there and eventually she finds out that he is like a famed dragon rider who like that was pretty of, cool yeah because of injury is now a scholar here and like that was i thought that was a nice moment obviously it took a lot of interest in her which was great but it was that slowly finding her purpose again and like you know her whole taking of the ship and going after and her like faking herself yeah to be like i can go do this yeah like, was super cool and again like you're saying even with inside of herself it was the high highs and the lowest lows um where she was trying to fight through all that i did find it interesting that the book was super heavy with her in the beginning and then we kind of abandoned her for quite some time a long time like it was like oh she's on feather island now and she would just there for a, like We'd pop in every once in a while. She'd be like, I found a new book. Okay, we're going to pop away. <laughs> we'll come back. She was like, it was almost like the quest she had gotten to her spot too early. And she was just like, okay, I'm waiting for like Loth <laughs> to show up so I can like continue with my job. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. I will say with Loth's journey, again, kind of what I mentioned earlier, like, dude, Again, being the saint of courage or, you know, holding that for his patron. Yeah. Guy was willing to legitimately walk through fire to help Saber and to help Ines, you know, to to take on the, the red sickness that he doesn't know, as far as he knows, can't be cured just so he can sneak past all the terrible uh, draconic creatures in order to get word back to Saber about what's really happening. And then he does he makes it to the priory but then the priory being dicks that they are like well you can't leave like once you know about the secret society you can't leave the secret society and it's like dude this guy's like fucking hard of gold maybe just let him go you're being dicks (sighs) and that was another situation where it was like okay i know it's as soon as he got there i was like well she's gonna see Loth, and it's gonna free him like another just too perfectly planned out moment yeah I did appreciate, though, too, how, like, when he is back with the privateers and they're like, oh, wow, like, we've got this f- newfound respect for you because you, like, went into his Colin and came out alive and that's pretty ballsy. And they just, like, he's this, like, like blue-blooded lordling. I mean, he's not that young, but whatever. And they're all like, all right. All right. And they even talked about, uh, you know, Meg and E talked about when he was first sent to Scallon, like he's so naive. He's so like kind of trusting and and dumb. He's going to like die instantly. Like he's not a spy, all this stuff. Like, well, he's not, but you know, he did it his way. uh, And with his whole journey that we saw, I, I just liked that he stayed true to himself. And again, he just kept putting himself out there for queen and country without asking for anything he just did it for his friend did it to make her life easier and i thought that was that was really really cool did you 
think that he's going back to Iskalan to like be with the Donmata. Like, oh, 100. 100. Okay. I was like, that's definitely going to happen when he was leaving. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, he's going to like, yeah. It's like the only okay. way it doesn't is if she dies in the yeah, okay. And I don't think that's going to happen because the only, I was trying to think of this, like, at the end, he's writing, you know, the ledger and stuff at Golden Birch and whatever, taking care of the lands. And he's like, well, you know, he's really downheartened or something, saddened. Let's use a real word. He's really saddened by the loss of his friend. And I'm like, what friend? I'm like, Sabrin's alive. Eden's alive. Meg's Kit. alive. It was Kit. It was Kit. I was like, Kit was so long ago, bud. Come on. <laughs> I was like, I thought we just. Why we are just we still had, talking about Kit? Well, we just had a battle literally of the yeah, century. Yeah, more shit has gone on. And I was yeah. like, which, who died in the battle? No one. Like Meg's betrothed awesome super right dude on his face is a little disfigured in the face now but lived you know it was like so i was like who kit kit was fucking awesome though and his oh, death yeah. was so and i know that happens sometime with death but it's like okay we're both got the red sickness we're going down this oh my god a rock fell on <laughs> kit, are you okay let me and i unburied him enough to see you his dead okay. face he was you look super okay. dead kit yeah that was I was like, oh, damn. It was like, it was like your original feisty comment. Like, and then there was a troll and then Kit was dead. <laughs> like, where did that come from? It's a lot like that. Yeah. I will say that I appreciated too at the end with Loth's story, how like, it was like kind of an offhanded comment where Meg and him were basically like, our parents done fucked up and like made me love this place and you love that place and neither of us can be there. And it was like, just fucking switch. Like no. <laughs> what the fuck? Who well, cares? And Who cares? Honest, and again, another feisty boat. That's kind of how it works out with him going after the John Mata, who is now queen of his Scallon. Don't start words with why. I don't know how to pronounce that. Oh my that. God, for real. Scallon. Uh, he I have will not now, gone into my rant yet about the words and the names. We will, we will come to the beef. Yeah. Uh, so he, he'll go there and join her court so that Meg will hold Golden Birch. Like, it will work out, kids. It will be fine. You know, it's just, again, just too many neat too bow many. after neat bow after neat bow. Oh, to bring it back to Tane, though, because this was something that I was very confused about what's with with her like epilogue or like finishing of the story she like goes back to her ancestral island whatever the fuck oh komoridu yeah 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 um with the dead mulberry tree yeah um and then she like takes a nap and wakes up and there's blood on her side yeah i did Did not know what that meant because i read that and i was like Everybody else's sort of like ended on a little bit of like a, I don't want to call it a cliffhanger because that's not accurate, but like on a little bit of a, a comma, not a period. Yeah. And hers was like, I did not understand what was supposed to be happening. I didn't even understand why she would go back there. Me either. I guess because it's her, like you were saying, her ancestral like sacred island or whatever. And they're, she's like going through it and she's like, oh, you can kind of see where like foundations were. And like this was, it used to be more civilized, you know, whatever, the land of misfit toys. But okay. And then she finds a cave and like spines. She finds a cave? 
doesn't she doesn't she like I don't find, know. doesn't she find like a cave with uh like some kind of statue of naporo or something and she's like oh, oh i can kind of see my face in that she did find the naporo statue i do remember that i thought so uh but maybe i'm wrong because she's like oh i don't know like what i'm supposed to say and she like just says thank you maybe or something i don't know that was yeah, i thought it was sort of like uh i guess i didn't realize it was in a cave but i assumed it was sort of like a cemetery type situation like a monument okay. But I don't understand. She like took a nap at the base of the tree and then like woke up and there was blood. And I'm like, what? One thing that interests me too with just how we wrapped up the end, it seemed like we gave Nicholas Roos the most time. Like <laughs> I just remember being yeah. like, can we be done with this? Like, no, he had to like go to Jan's grave and then he had to run into Jan's widow and they had to talk and they're going like, to be great too and all nice. this stuff. Yeah, of course. She's like, oh, I knew that. I knew that he was with you, but like I loved him, and I knew that made him happy. So I was, I was like, nobody's like that. Nobody's like, yeah, yeah go really sleep sweet. with your mistress. It's fine, you know. Right. So that's how I felt like with with Tane and all their other stories. I was just like, it just felt really quick to to end. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. You're right. It is a cave. Inside Crushed was it. a statue of a woman whittled on the rock. Blah blah blah. So she like says thank you to the statue, and then. She stayed until the lantern had burned out. In the darkness, she took the stair she had taken once before up to the mulberry tree that had died beneath the stars. Tane lay beside it and fell asleep. In the morning, a white butterfly was cupped in her hand and her side was damp with blood. What? Maybe she put the stone back in. I don't know what that means. Maybe she put the stone back in. She, like, cut herself up and put the stone back in. But, like, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Wasn't there something? There was something about butterflies. Yeah, I think that had to do with Naporo. Uh, no, it was like, yeah, so like the butterfly, a butterfly had distracted her and she ran when she was a child after the butterfly and that That's saved right. her from the destruction of her village. So it was like somebody looking out for her. Okay, so like Naporo could be the butterfly, but also like, why was there blood? I don't know. That's an ellipsis, not a comma. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. True facts. But yeah, that from a from an ending perspective and a story arc perspective i was very much like wtf yeah and again for a standalone you gotta yeah. assume at some point she's gonna pick that up or something i don't know but why i don't you know it didn't it feel way. like um strange the dreamer style where you're like okay i need to know like, yeah exactly what happens yeah i know this was a great period for that it was like okay yeah uh, and and again i think that's a part of just the commitment you put into this book oh where you're gosh. like Okay, I committed a lot to that. I'm okay with it being over now. Like, over, yeah. Okay. That's the three years of my life. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, then we still have Eid's uh, mm. arc, which basically is about like how many times can you be exiled by the people you love and return to Sabrin as you promised. And again, unbelievable things, you know, where like she's like taken and bound by the, not bound, but she's taken by the the Nighthawks people whatever and then he's like oh it's like a thought killer and she's like Raha, i got out step step dead 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 yeah now i'm gonna run away and uh you know meg will help me and meg does help her and gives her a horse that will carry her most of the way and then she xyz into all these different things to finally make it to the priory and then the priory is there and she she solves the riddle of the box that her sister died that loth ended up carrying here and then she knows oh this key looks like a there's a keyhole in underneath the mother and look at oh the stone i found it yay oh no now the prioress wants to kill me don't worry boof 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 escape 
And I would take Loth with me Perfect. because we have this magical, magic, magical, magical Ichu Mengon or whatever named Arla. I was saying like Ichu Namakon, but that's also not right. <laughs> and it's not in the motherfucking glossary. But we're going to take this magical beast who can run forever and we'll be fine and we'll get back to Sabrin and then we start planning. But then somebody's going to blow a dart in my fucking back and I'm going to start dying. But then I'll live and then I'll come back and then we'll fight the nameless one and I'll I'll kill Caliban. Yay! Eats oh my story. God. Can you please do spoilers like this next time? <laughs> <laughs> Just freestyle spoilers. Got yeah. it. Uh, um. I will say one of the things that I liked but also didn't like was Sabrin and Eid's relationship. I liked that it was a thing. I liked that I felt as though they did truly like love one another and that it was like based in actual like understanding and knowing of each other, not like book eater style. But the like love scenes that happened with them, I did not like that. <laughs> and I, I, I wish I could like adequately put into words what about it I didn't like, but it was like she was trying to not have it be a love scene and had like put all these like flowery different ways of saying something when like she really means that they were banging and like could we just talk about it like normal humans? Yes. I, just like it fell really flat for me and it kind of ruined their whole like it didn't feel romantic in any way, shape or form for me and i read a lot of nc17 fan fiction so like i've read some good sex scenes those were not it so you know how i feel i was like oh, okay oh, we're I still here <laughs> okay wish we'd move past <laughs> this but it did it felt like uh she was writing this so like if kids read it maybe yes. like like uh like an old nickelodeon show or like uh pixar movies where they make that comment that the parents like oh and the kid is just like, ha ha, giggles, funny. You know, it's... It, it totally did feel like it was written for, to like ear, for earmuff yeah. situation where it's like, we want to, sh- we want to tell you that these people are being intimate, but we don't actually want to like tell you how they're being intimate. We're going to use all these like, not fake words because they're real words, but just like, uh, I don't know. It, it just like, I really did not like that. Like if you're going to have this like really strong any kind of even if it was a heterosexual relationship i would have wanted like more realism like on top of that on top of what you're saying the other thing that really got to me was that it kept coming up we kept having to do it so we're like having these moments that again for me i'm just like i could do without this and it's (laughs) honestly if i could take a sidecar here it's been something i've been thinking about a lot lately in like books and movies television whatever where somebody's like i love you i love you or to like show that we love each other we're gonna fuck right now (laughs) i swear to god it's like in everything in everything it's like here's our moment of passion we finally connected we fuck like it just fucking it has to be right now it has to be right now like <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i just see that keep coming up I, it drives me crazy and like you were saying like with Eid and saber there was such a great connection there their actual yeah. relationship yeah. was really 
believable and awesome. Solid. And something I appreciate about Eat is she like refused to bow down to her. She was like, no, yeah. I'm going to tell you when you're being an idiot. I'm going to tell you, like, she kept saying, like, I'm not one of your subjects. Like, yeah. I won't lie to you. I'm not going to bullshit you. I'm not trying to trick you. This is, this is it. I'm being honest with you. And first of all, Saber really likes it. that. Yeah. And I mean, she, I feel like that's what, that's what, that's what endears you to somebody is if like, that's how Eve can show how much she loves her in that it's not like, oh, I'm just, I'm just your yes woman. Like, right. And I appreciate Sabrin for recognizing that that's something she needed. Especially when a lady of the bedchamber is such a high wanted position. And so there's two other women that could be in this spot too. And like, they are definitely just yes people. Um, Oh yeah. It it made sense. And I really appreciated that also. It's kind of like that growth we talked about with Sabrin. She like notices or like recognizes that this is what she needs. Yes. And like after uh, Lavellan and his death, like she was, could have been very closed off, but like, again they kind of both need each other and Eve, yeah for her credit i mean she's been looking after this woman for eight years like there is a connection there and then she realizes that she's more than just what she sees in public oh, yeah. like as she sees yeah. more of her and gets to know her more she also falls in love with her so was, i i felt like their relationship was super strong uh totally again, we just didn't need to fuck all the time uh, well and like again i just <sighs> I didn't appreciate the way that those love scenes were written. And I think I probably would have not. And it wasn't because it was two ladies. Like, I think that that's how she would have written any love scenes. I mean, were there other love scenes? There was. We had one with Jan and Ruth. Oh, and Ruth. That was, that was very equally similarly. As like, meh. Yeah. yeah. I love, I always love the line too, where it's like, and they were together until they were so exhausted, they laid by the fire. It's like, <sighs> God, who does that? That's so tiring. Right? That's way too long. (laughs) Too sweaty. Get off. (laughs) Gross. Uh, Yeah. And so then aside from that, with Eid's story too, again, it's just kind of a reoccurring theme for me where it was like, she always was where she needed to be. There was always an answer to the riddle. Like the, again, it was too perfect. Maybe, you know, we got so bogged down describing 17 different versions of mythology that we didn't want to introduce another smart character that maybe could solve a riddle. So he'd had to do it <laughs> or, you know, Locke being like, well, you know, I was at the Priory under this drug, but I'm pretty sure that orange would save her. Like he has no fucking clue. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. did she, she did tell him a little bit more about the Priory though. Like after they left, I thought she like had explained some more about it. I think she was open really to all of the, or to Herod, him and Saber. And I think she was really open about the Priory after that. So it, yeah. that is possible. So like he, she was about yeah. her magic too. So yeah, you're right. There, there yeah. could be something there. But no, uh, I agree that he was like totally out of it when he was there. Like, yeah. There's no way he was gleaning that information from observation. <laughs> and I do love that. He's like, hey, you know, Tane, while you're on your way to deliver this really important time-sensitive message, if you could just pick like, up. Grab one of these. Grab one of those, like, apples or whatever it is. Orange, I guess. Oh, Orange, yeah. I'm from, sure they'll like, give it to you. The Dragon Slayer home? With yeah. your, can you take your dragon there to you just mean, take one? Oh, yeah, no big deal. I'm sure you're going to love Eve when you meet her. Like, this sacrifice, you're going to love her. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot of that going on. But <laughs> I, again, I really love the characters, and yeah. I really loved a lot about what happened. It's just I really didn't love how perfect it 
all were like it was it was too much and again you could see that coming where it was like oh okay this this is gonna happen this is gonna and there were some still surprises like when Caliba showed up at the priory well uh Tane was there I didn't see that coming but it wasn't quite like uh no but it was also like (laughs) very convenient in terms of like the things that it set in motion like yeah and a huge distraction killing the prioress yeah it's great also also like this whole a a way to describe the feelings that I have towards the feisty and bow aspect is like when you're like oh this confection the sweet looks so good but it's like too sweet and you're like ouch it's giving me pains <laughs> yeah i yeah 100 percent. so kind of along that note we've touched on a lot of or some of these points already but as we were building to our climax and our characters and nations were coming together what did you think of that part of the story kind of seeing the work of six seven hundred pages come together yeah i mean my i think my favorite part of of the whole like lore and histories and religion and all the characters was how each person's like beliefs and set of set of beliefs was kind of rocked to the foundation by the events that they were going through kind of each in each in their own way and I think that the whole concept of like east and west having to come together to like fight a mutual enemy like that's just you know kind of a I don't want to call it an age-old thing if like Mars attack style but like (laughs) The common threat is a very good unifier, but I do think that the the willingness of the characters that we met and were familiar with to reassess their own their own beliefs and their own preconceived notions of things, be it dragons or religion or just like any other person that they've met, I thought was really cool. The, I guess you could call it character growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it made sense for the way the different ones went about it. Like for Sabrin, it kind of, she was in the perfect spot to kind of hear Eve's truths about yes. Virtudum because yes. her trust had just been completely just been yeah, destroyed yeah. by the coup and everything going on that she's like well I don't even know what to believe and also there's that weight because her whole life and for centuries before her it was said that as long as a barathonet is sitting on the throne the nameless one cannot rise and all that was no based pressure on yeah no pressure while you're living on that and also for some reason during your rule his like minions are rising so what's that all about you know it's fine it's fine everything's fine so i think that also helped her be like maybe virginum's not so spot on like maybe it isn't actually my fault or the fact that i'm now barren after being attacked which i think even Ed said like the fact that they say barren is just shit word to use oh my god yeah i actually i screen cap that i do hickey flag that that a woman is more than a womb to be seated. Yes. Hoorah, Sabrin. Um, and then on the other side of that, you have Loth, who mentions like, you know, I've had more of my faith question this last year that I know what yeah. to do with. But he gets the experience. He sees the orange tree. He sees what Eve can do with magic. He like meets the sea dragons, you know, like he has to have those experiences that also go with the questions of faith that open his eyes to be like more forgiving towards things or, or, you know, more understanding towards that. And also do Hickey, another spot um, where he and Margaret are having a conversation or is that Margaret? No, I think it's Eden Margaret. Um, but I think this very much applies to Loth 
as well. Just like she says, you know, I take the Knight of Courage as my patron. There is courage, I think, in open-mindedness and thinking for oneself. And like says to her to eat, if you're a witch, then perhaps witches are not so wicked after all. And I feel like, oh, Meg and Loth are just freaking awesome. But I do feel like that kind of, all the experiences that Loth had to go through have given him that open-mindedness that I think like he was just a a court guy like that was his small world and virtuedom was all that he knew and like he knew of you know I'm sure he was learned in terms of like other cultures knowing like from a history book perspective but not like getting to know somebody and going through these experiences and it felt very like can we just have more of that in like our world please (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's not gonna happen sorry even even if the world starts to burn like in project hail mary that will not happen tasha so nope no that was the most unbelievable part of that book (laughs) yes indeed but uh kind of on the other side of this i think i mentioned this maybe before we were recording, maybe earlier, the fact that the emperor didn't push for Sabrin's hand in marriage, I thought was the most far-fetched. And he's even like, he's like, well, I'm hip, I'm young, I'm like 25, I get it. I want to marry for love too, dude. Like, don't worry about it. The queen, she's cool. And like Loth even like plays it off like, oh, she's grieving. You know, she just lost her child and her husband. And like, she would rather not do that. And he's like, yeah, fine. Thousand years, we'll be fine. This is my East voice. Uh, I do feel like he was very like surprising. I did appreciate that Loth was like, wait, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's like, you know, lost like, oh, I hope like, you know, his counsel doesn't give him trouble. And they're like, he only cares what his grandmother thinks. Like, as long as his grandmother is okay with it, they'll be okay with it. And I was like, all right. Uh, again, like, cool. But also like, oh, too perfect. Oh, yeah. my toothache again. <laughs> I'm going to send my legion of dragons to help you, but not be like, we'll do like a trade alliance, even though you've called me a heretic for a century. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of it all coming together, so as we have the payoff of the final battle with the Nameless One, what did you think of our climactic scene? I wrote down in all caps, FAST. (laughs) Um, Like most climaxes, it was quick. (laughs) I feel like, I think maybe I said this before, I don't remember it was before we started recording, but like the last 200 to 300 pages were like probably the best. of the whole book but the last battle was like way too fast way too chaotic way too like it wasn't very easy to visualize there were like bits about it and I don't know if it was because things were kind of like jumping around a bit which like is necessary obviously because you've got all these different people that are part of the battle but like I just felt very almost like big dragon back battle fight scenes are not her forte I I and I I think because Tamar is like my bastion for dragon <laughs> dragon writing things that like that those the battles that happen in those books are much easier for me to visualize. I mean, yes, there's some weird things because like dragons are flying and like I have never seen it. You know, like there's some yeah. stuff that I'm making some concessions for, but just like the chaotic nature of this battle and then how again how like perfect everything was you're like okay Tani's like on her dragon and 
they they're like going towards the nameless one they've got Ascalon it's gonna be great and then up oh, she dropped Ascalon and you're like well that's it and then like, oh it fell on a ship we good we good like I I it started off difficult because this is a very atypical setting you don't read a lot sure. of books that are middle of the abyss the ocean abyss, whatever ocean. you have whatever it was because I don't even know 40 50 maybe more ships there from four different different nations whatever a bunch Mm -hmm. of different ship names that you're just hearing for the first time like oh my god that was so frustrating it was like we were supposed to know which ship was which and I was like I had no idea so you're you're trying to picture that and then you have this momentous moment of the nameless one coming out of the abyss and what that means and then his army of dragon or draconic creatures which aren't all just worms they're like different kind of bastards of different kinds of animals and things dragon things yeah and then on top of that yeah you've got you're jumping around and as crazy as it sounds as detailed as you went into with the lore and the history of this world you did not describe that well enough to to start me where i was like okay i know because even when they like all the leaders come together to talk on a ship how did they get there and, and then they were like, okay, bye. Yeah, okay. Well, that, the king of the north is a little upset. Like, who the fuck was that guy? The tensions were really <laughs> high. And then they all just like went back to their own ships. Yeah. And, and so then again, you're like trying to keep track of where the characters are. Yeah. Uh, apparently the easiest thing to do is swim ship to ship. Because that happens quite a few times. So many times. And they have said how often they have said that the abyss is like full of all random terrible things. It's fucking cold. Like all these reasons to not jump into the water. And they're like. (laughs) (laughs) So that that happens, you know, and then Tane sees the white worm, sees Caliba, right? And wherever she's fighting, that's not good enough. So she like swims to another ship, even though they just had the meeting of the whatever the leaders apparently they had dispersed i don't fucking know good thing that's the ship where sabrin is so that she can face off with her so that Eid can oh, convenient come out of the shadows i mean i put that in spoilers kind of as a inside joke because because like where describe- the fuck did she come from yeah well, that's how she described it she's like a shadow moved and it's like come on dude like why would caliba be that fall for that stupid? bullshit yeah i mean obviously like i assume she wanted bruce to steal the stone for her i don't know maybe not but like you've got to think that he's a one-armed man who's a selfish fuck like maybe he fails it wasn't me it was the one-armed man (laughs) so come on it just there was a lot of that that was happening that was just absolutely ridiculous so you know you start (laughs) off not being able to picture it and then you move forward with these kind of unbelievable moments. You know, honestly, the, the dragon flying was probably the easiest thing to visualize because, like you said, from Tamarera, at least I had some idea of that. Good point. It was more just the layout of the battle and like all these draconic armies. What are they doing? Like a fucking dragon could just take a ship over. It's really not that hard. It's a fucking well, dragon. I also appreciate how they're like, okay, we're going to have this like big battle with fire breathing dragons in the middle of the ocean and we're gonna it's fine we'll just like coat our wooden ships in some wax or whatever the fuck everything got waxed we're fine also like wax melts i mean like that's (laughs) a thing i just felt like she had been leading up to this big battle coming this spring the nameless (laughs) one (laughs) and like 
it was, I don't want to say that it was a letdown, but it was just so chaotic and confusing that I was kind of just like, I'm all over the place. And then like Tane and her dragon, whose name, I'm just going to keep calling her her dragon because I cannot pronounce that name. They like end up prying that scale off. Great. And then they're like escaping from that situation. And the dragon gets like her whole tail bit off. And then it's like, I'm good. It's all fine. What? Yeah, that was weird too. The other thing that was hard to visualize was like just thinking of like D&D and like a breath weapon of a dragon. It's like 60 feet. You know what that is. Like the nameless one is like spraying fire and they even say like Nyanathan like gets underneath it and gets like inside its garden. Like it's a fucking boxer. Like it was just so much of that where I was like, what? Yeah, like the logistics of it didn't really track for me. And then they're like, okay, we have Ascalon again, and we're gonna stab. Oh, no, it wasn't even that. It was like, the way you put it in spoilers was like better than the way it read in the book for me. Because it was like, okay, she's got Ascalon, and then she stabbed him. He's And it's like, what? It did seem like, so like you were saying, with your point, Ascalon, Tani, Tani drops Ascalon, and magically it lands on a ship. On a, I'm pretty sure an end. upended ship. Like, Pretty sure the ship had already been partially destroyed, but thank God it was there. Oh, yeah. Just this... a couple floorboards left over, but it was <laughs> yeah. enough. It was the door from Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> from Titanic, yes. But it made it. It did. All we've heard about this sword, like to the point where when Caliba was ha- handling it and in another form, they could tell which part of her was the sword because it like gives off very bright starlight, uh, like yeah. immense. It's, I think it's Firedale, one of the na- the nameless ones, like second yeah. commander is like, we must find the Where sword. Is it? And everyone's like, oh my God, if only we weren't in some dark place like the abyss where starlight would fucking shine. And then Ede, <laughs> Ede is like, there it is. And just again, jumps in the water to it. And yeah, I was a little confused by this moment. And I think it is just with the fast paceness of it. Like the, the pages were turning, which was great, but I felt like I wasn't really like I absorbing wasn't understanding. it all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did like how I read it or how I remember it at least is she like pulls the sword out of the fucking Titanic door and just like <laughs> holds it up. And the name of one crashes into her. Agreed. And, like basically stabs himself. <laughs> Agreed. Hey, you're a little ant. Oh, God, you got me right in that one. He's like, you know what, guys? I just woke up. I'm not really, like, at the top of my game. (laughs) I'm just going to run into some swords. (laughs) They did say that, that he would be at his weakest because he was just waking up. But, yeah, that was, oh, it was was so much. Um, And then, like, the magical hand-holding moment of uh, Tane and and Eid flying on Nyamathan as they're like holding both stones together to bind him and we just assume it's over it was so much again i just i think because it was such an atypical battle you needed to be able to give us better imagery in order for it to really make sense and another like again the the perfect ending ruins it i was expecting such an epic like visual of this battle with all all of that lead up. I mean, I'm like in the middle of the battle right here in this this page. And you have 40 pages of glossary after that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I don't know. I just, I had such a, even just like the killing of, or the stabbing of the nameless one. Like, it was just so, it, it was so not, 
it was described similarly like the sex scenes where it like wasn't really giving me proper visuals so it was like i'm not really i'm not really here involved in this yeah and it's it's what i've touched on before what i hate about books you can't have high stakes with no consequences yeah we didn't lose a named character no how is that possible like i mean Fire- in that battle like right yeah like firedell came to an s at one point and like destroyed part of the city like climbed the castle basically tried no, that's to- when he like yeah magic him away well, she magic so his fire couldn't hurt Sabrin. Oh, um, right, right, right. And then I think he went after her. Maybe she, I don't remember how they got him okay. away. But I think he was there to deliver a warning. Anyway. Yeah. He, like, yeah. creates all that damage by himself. He now has a draconic army and his boss. <laughs> like, and you're telling me that we didn't lose a single, like, knight captain? We didn't lose, yeah. well, I guess the privateer wasn't there. But, like, there was... Like, like the emperor didn't die? Like, the emperor who's the... afraid of heights, shout out. Uh, riding on the back of his dragon, oh, not right. dying. Like somebody, somebody had to die. Somebody. Yeah, not even like you were saying before. Meg's uh, betrothed, the knight of the body guy. Like he's not even dead. He's just like a little bit scratched up. Yeah, and that's the other thing. They had that whole separate battle where they did siege to um, the capital of Scallon to distract, and I guess it kind of worked because they got one of the high westerns there, but. Uh, you know, Meg goes there because she can offer aid in the infirmary. Like, perfect, perfect chance for Meg to die. I mean, I loved her, but it's somebody. Again, you have to have consequences. If you don't have consequences, why are we here? Why did like, so you I just feel saying, like why did we spend seven hundred and eighty pages getting to this point? I feel like the point you brought up before about how when. Loth is like writing, dealing with the stuff at Golden Birch and he's like writing that letter and says something about Kit. I feel like that is meant to be the consequence, which like isn't enough for how, for all this. I liked Kit. Don't get me wrong, but there have been books that are like a fraction of this size that they've killed characters I fucking love. And that just is, do you get what I'm saying though? Like it's like, you don't need a huge book to make everybody live. <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's the same thing with TV, like Stranger Things right now. Nobody fucking, nobody of manner dies in Stranger Things. And it's gotten to the point where like, why are we watching this? They're don't all going to live. Don't you smirch Eddie like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. They bring in the, the fucking cool one-time character that they can kill at the end of the season. Oh, spoilers and spoilers. <laughs> but there's just, again, I, and I think it's just, I wanted this as a standalone to stand out. Yeah. And, you know, you heard so much about it that, and, like, there was so much praise, hype about it that it just, it felt like, maybe, again, it's the expectations killing it, but there was just so much of that between between everyone living happily ever after, the perfection of fate and serendipity and everything else, it takes away from the believability in a fantasy novel, which is, again, just silly to say, but kind of upsetting when you think about it. I mean, even something not at all fantasy related like what you were talking about before with Ruth and jan's widow like it would be perfectly reasonable for her to like hate him and make his life miserable 
But no, because that would just be like not perfect. Yeah, because you know, Roos has already gone through enough. So right. like, let's give it. I mean, that moment didn't even have to happen, if we're being honest. You know, Roos was kind of already getting a second chance in Beard Stand like, or whatever. And everything. Yeah. yeah. And like Layla had survived. They had rescued her. They interpreted yeah. the pirate ship. You know, they had a friendship there. Again, maybe if it's 600 pages, you feel differently. But that was a little bit uh, upsetting. Another thing we touched on before was the pacing, how yeah. that changed. It's it's kind of the same thing. Like pacing is almost like a character in a book too, mm. where if you make a drastic change towards the end, what were we doing before? And it's honestly, I, I love just tying this into things that maybe people will understand. Think of Game of Thrones. It was the same thing where like in the first season, it took the whole season basically to get from like from the north to to king's landing right it took eight eight of the ten episodes and then in the last season Arya made it across the sea in half an episode that's what this ended up being you know yeah. when when Eid is doing her travels early on it's like a two-month process and then when Loth sails across the abyss it happens from page to page <clears throat> you know it was just that kind of change up also makes you question, okay, why were we doing that before? Maybe we were using that time to explore more of the world, to give you that world building that now they don't feel like you need later on. But it just seemed like when it's that drastic, yeah, it kind of makes you question like, okay, were we doing it right before or were we doing it wrong before? Because why are we so different? Well, I totally agree. And I feel as though these characters and the world itself were strong enough to not need that slower pacing beginning bits. You know what I mean? Like there's so much about these characters that could have been expressed to the reader with less fluff. Like it it didn't feel, admittedly, I've only ever read The Hobbit. I haven't read other Tolkien, so slay me now. But like the descriptions of a table of food for two pages may i mean not that that's what she did but it felt like it was borderline that and there was so much stuff that we didn't need to have because these characters were so strong and this world was so there it was so fleshed out and real that like we could have had a more succinct learning of it yeah exploration of it yeah and i will say like uh again just because of how big it is when we moved to that faster paced travel i was really happy (laughs) yeah same (laughs) i was like yeah let's go let's let's keep this story moving so that was i don't know if that that makes it good or bad you know that that you feel that way yeah kind of tying up the end and i guess the one real consequence we saw was that uh eden sabrin wouldn't be able to see each other every day for the next 10 years i don't know how they'll survive that um you know again just the feisty and bow of like the woman i believe it was like naruja or something like that who shot eid with the blow dart yeah um she was like set to be the next prioress and then he just jumped her which i guess makes sense she helped take down the nameless one but like he talks about how like 
well, I have to do this. And maybe she does. She can do a lot of great stuff with the Priory, just like Saban can do a lot of great stuff with leading her. The breaking down of virtuedom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Reformation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But like, they make it sound like they're not going to see each other for 10 years. Like, they could still, they have a fucking bird that can fly back and forth. Like, you'll be fine. Not only that, but in this like changed world, I mean, yes, they do all talk about how like, we're not just going to like, like the ban isn't just gonna go the sea ban isn't just gonna go away and all the like thousands of years of cultural stability or whatever from each of those places isn't gonna just change but like they're all working toward a more cohesive environment where there is trade where there is cooperation or whatever like it's totally reasonable that they'll see each other yeah exactly it's not like a romeo and juliet style yeah right so that was like i felt like that was her maybe trying to be like oh this is some consequence yeah isn't it so bad that they're such great rulers they have to be apart we haven't even really talked about the priory of the orange tree (laughs) (laughs) there he goes so uh is the orange tree okay i was like (laughs) yeah yeah actually it is (laughs) interesting that that was the the the, The the title? title yeah because, yeah, it makes sense. Eid comes from there. They play a part in things, obviously. But we didn't spend a ton of time there. We obviously, didn't. the power comes from the orange tree. So I guess there's that. But I, so, I don't know. To me, I feel like it's definitely of all of the, like, environments and I guess you could say cultures that we experience in the book. That is the most interesting named one. Yes, and, and like, <laughs> I, yeah, and that's kind of it. I mean, like, if you looked at it from sort of a historical perspective, the Priory of the Orange Tree is kind of like the seedling or not really even that. It's like the the wee babe of one of the people who did the cool shit a thousand years ago. And it was, I don't want to say the Priory was the basis for this but like virtuedom kind of grew was connected in a way to the person who started though i don't know i'm really reaching here i just think it was the coolest sounding one yeah agreed and in the in the story cleoland is protected from the nameless one by the orange tree by some kind of aura given off or magic given off by it and that gives her the chance to slay him so there is that but yeah no with this and how we start with Eid you know, knowing she is an agent of the Priory, I expected it to be a lot more here, a lot more poignant to our story. And I mean, it was, it was necessary, but for the title and for that, where that usually leads you, it it didn't seem like it had that part. Now, again, like you're saying, I don't know what you would call this uh, fantasy world of dragons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Uh, not only that, but like the, the Priory was set up to protect the world from dragons so i suppose like from a climactic battle scene whole point of the coming east and west coming together to fight the nameless one like the priory not that you couldn't have done it without them but like that wouldn't have even been like you wouldn't have had people trained to like know what to do not that they didn't know what to do until you'd found that whatever do you get what i'm saying like there's a I don't know. It's like she set it up with the whole, our future generations are going to have to deal with this shit. 
they probably should have set them up a little bit better. <laughs> Maybe should have left better notes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, just, just interesting. I don't know. I don't think I have anything else really for spoilers. I feel like we've jumped around a lot of different places. I don't know if you've got anything else you wanted to touch on. The only thing I have is my beef. Your beef! Beef it up. All right. I feel like we should keep beef in spoilers just because. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Comes up. All right. So my beef, I have, it's thrice beefed. One is that there's this like glossary and directory of like characters and historical figures at the back of the book. The glossary doesn't have things that the glossary should have. Like it doesn't have, what is his name? Arlac? 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 Something like that. The freaking icky whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'd look it up in the back, but I can't because it ain't there. It's got stupid shit that shouldn't be in there because like, like Palanquin, I know what that is because I've read other fucking fantasy books. This icky what's it that you more than likely created. I want to know what that is because you have created this thing. I don't need to know about what was that squirrel one that we <laughs> the oak oak mouse the oak yeah like I could guess that that was a squirrel or I would just assume it was a mouse and for the purposes of the story that would be enough. There were other like some of the evil draconic things too that I would have expected to be in here and they're not. Yeah, like a halberd. I know what a, a halberd is a fucking weapon. Like that is very common. Why is that in there? It's uh Ichnumons. I C H N E U M O N S. Ichumon. Ichnumon? I don't know. Ah, uh, it was annoying. Thank you for finding that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in the glossary there's something about a gurnet, a bottom feeding sea fish. The word is used as an all purpose insult. I can't remember a single time someone was called that. And also, like you could just put that on italics and tell me what it is in the moment. You don't need to put it in the glossary. Yeah, or context would give that away. Or context would give that away. You're a like, dumb and I, Yeah, I, I don't care that it's a fish. I know that it's a derogatory term, whatever, an insult. Um, And then all of the persons of the tale, she's got them broken down by like Eastern and Western. And, and I suppose that's helpful. Oh, there's also like deceased and historical persons of the East and West and South and north none of them have anything about pronunciation yes which is infuriating because some of these names are absurd and like it would have just been really convenient if you've already got you got it just add some pronunciation stuff that would have been really 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 helpful also if you're gonna have like a glossary and helpful terms and whatever else at the back or even like a historical there's a timeline Give me a thing that like has some explanation of the religions, specifically virtue because that was the sort of like bleh, one. Those are my three beefs. Three beefs. Yeah, I will say, as we touched on, like I want to know how they come up with what goes in the glossary and what doesn't. Is it like your roll of the dice? Apparently, like, what is this? Yeah, because you feel like they would be like, wait, why don't you like explain what this is instead of just being like, well, those are like the mythical creatures of the area. Because like you were saying, like some of the draconic army is like bastardization manipulations of creatures that we know like and like she mentioned some of them but like this book is huge like it just took you how long to find the icky yeah. what's it who's it like put that in the back 
Yeah, because people might want to know, like, because mm-hmm. there was a point, like, in the final battle where I think they fight, like, a uh, Artaneater or something like that, and I'm like, I don't remember what that was. Yeah, like, because I, that was I know it's a bad guy. pages ago that yeah. I read about it. <laughs> yeah, because Loth, like, snuck by one in the cave or something. Yes. Like, I remember that was yes. a thing, but I don't remember what it looks like or anything like that. So, yes. yeah, that definitely would have been helpful and you already have the notes i'm sure so exactly just Just make it easy for people you've got 800 pages to sift through just put a convenient glossary of bad guys and good guys nice yeah east west virtue good bad yeah and pronunciations please so on that note on the note of the beef we're going to move away from this book so that means or sorry we're going to move away from spoilers so we are now moved out of spoilers so moving out of spoilers but not away from the book yet we have our grading system our grade to give it uh if this is your first time we do this based on a dnd d20 one is bad 20 is good and then we add or subtract points to it based on an ability or skill check from the famous tabletop game dungeons and dragons this episode taja is up first so what did you give this book all right. So I gave this a straight roll of 14. I I mean it was a good it was a good book in that the world building and characters and character growth were all really good. Really hefty. A lot of thought went into this, clearly. But like we talked about before, it kind of just gave me a toothache with how sweet everything turned out. I am giving it a plus two for religion because I think that that was one of the parts of the world building and like the thought process or whatever, the effort that went into building these religions regarding the the different ones and their interplay and, and antipathy for each other. I thought that was just, it was really well thought out and well done and very believable. And I was very appreciative of how at the end of the book there's sort of the beginnings of like progressive and historical change for this world that you've worked so hard to build and that has so much history and and there's such a it ended on such like a hopeful note for um I mean obviously like they defeated the big bad guy great but also they've sort of defeated their own prejudices against each other and are going to be able to hopefully work something out where there's less animosity and better understanding of of where they came from of their histories now that they've been through all this and i thought that was like that was just really cool yeah i agree with a lot of your points um for me i gave it a straight roll of 15 i took away points for being too perfect for <laughs> having fate be too too much relied upon and and people being in the right place and people understanding immediately what was asked of them even if it bucked centuries of tradition you know things like that uh, is just a little too much you know and again a story this long where i didn't see many consequences was kind of a negative for me on a positive note I appreciated that there were multiple strong female leads in this and kind of a lot of different people that you could see yourself as like, you know, you could be drawn to any number of not just our point of views, but also Sabrin or Meg. I mean, even uh, for a secondary character was still a very strong female lead. She's amazing. 
And then, as we touched on before, the fact that Loth could have a friendship, multiple friendships with women, oh my God, without wanting are to not romantic. immediately sleep with them to show that he loves them was incredible. And I really appreciated that. And I really appreciated his character. So for me, high scoring, because the characters were great. The world was incredibly detailed, but points like if there was a few missteps if there was you know a few consequences this actually would have gotten a better grade i i think that there needs to be that for it to be believable again i've said it quite a few times in this episode in a work of fantasy i understand it's crazy to want it to be believable but it's got to be that's that's part of writing your book has to be believable immerse me in your world and let me believe that it's real and, and I then feel like, like give me things to be sad about <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, other than like a tertiary character <laughs> loss. Uh, that That's just, to me, that's the most important thing. You want, you want your writing to be consistent. You want your world to be believable. And you want people to be immersed. And again, that kind of perfection actually pulled me out, had me putting the yeah. book down more. It took me out of the world. So, you know, some knocks on it for there. Um, I gave it a plus three for history because how could you not with how strong that was um and also she did say uh in this that the, she did a lot of research and pulled from a lot of different stories myths legends in our own world as well as cultures and you can see the influence of those in different parts of this um as well so definitely did their homework you could see that definitely put in a lot of work into this book mm -hmm. like i believe she said it took three years to to get this yeah. going or get this done so that's impressive you know but Maybe next time, edit it down a little bit more. Don't <laughs> yeah, I, it's a painfully large book. I haven't seen the next one, whatever it was, Fallen Night or whatever the prequel. Yeah. But like, I wonder, the cover is beautiful. It's like an exact it's contrast where it's like uh, black with like a pink dragon, I believe it is, or something like that. <laughs> but I'd be interested to see if it is as long because that might be a deterrent. Same thing with her Bone Season series. Like, I, eh, if I see it, I'm going to add it to my list of authors. Like, I'll take yeah. a look for you when you're in the store and... If it's there, sure, but I'm not going to run out and and add you to my TBR uh, yeah. just yet. So uh, that is an 18 for me. Like I said uh, before, Goodreads, you need to figure out half stars because I thought this was four and a half stars, and that's pretty much right where that puts that. So yeah. um, 18 overall, check it out, but it is an investment of time. It is. It sure is. I honestly was considering that it would make a better audiobook. Like, I don't know who narrates it or anything like that, but I can imagine, like, maybe even being able to, like, immerse myself a little bit better in the visuals if it was mm -hmm. audio. Um, yeah, especially if you're not holding that daunting. Yeah. I was telling Barry this morning, I was reading another book um, or started a, another book, and I was like, it feels so nice to hold a normal size book. Nice. So on that note, we move away from the book and we move, we finish up with our segments. It's been a while, but I know we've had one gigantic brick here. So Taja, uh, current selection, have you read or listened to anything in the last four weeks? That's a big no. Um, well, Barry and I finished listening to His Majesty's Dragon on the way to Jersey. So I guess kind of I listened to that. And I have been like, chipping away at the great no is it the great hunt the third one of the wheel of time dragon no reborn. dragon reborn yeah which like i just listen to when i'm walking my dog during my lunch breaks <laughs> so it's only like a casual 15 to 20 minutes of the book at a time 
Yeah. I don't know that I count that as reading it. And yeah, that's that's all I I've just started the what? It's the Autumn Republic. Autumn Republic, yeah. Nah, I've just started that. So I'm but, excited because when so I you... finished Crimson Campaign, I was like, oh my God, I want to start it right now. But I was like, I can't because the prior is so big. So you've read that since we finished or you finished reading it since our last episode. What oh, did, did I? You, I assume you liked it. I guess I did. You're saying you wanted to immediately start reading the next one. Yes, book. I did finish it. It was so good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, the last like couple chapters, I was like, edge of my seat and then I like couldn't stop thinking about it and I like really had to, I had to like put Autumn Republic in a different room so that I like, didn't start it. Nice. Um, but yeah. I've been looking for more of his work but like there's nothing in my bookstores which is really? upsetting um, oh, for him so that's that's one that I I will keep an eye out on. Yeah. I had some time to read with the flights and everything. I finished the Rage of Dragons, which was the book I had just started last time uh, we recorded. And eh, it kind of fell flat for me in the end. It was not, I had high hopes for it. A lot of people said it was really great fantasy. It was like uh, a different take on it. But in the end, I just couldn't really connect with the character. Like didn't, I no longer really cared about his story uh, Mm. by the end of the book. So um, that's one that will be headed back to the store. I also read, so that was by Evan Winter. I then read Then She Was Gone by Lisa Jewell. Uh, What did you think of that one? That was a bit of a mindfuck. Totally Uh, crazy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we all know somebody like that woman in our lives and we steer clear (laughs) of them. Maybe not, but I hope not. That was a lot. Um, so much. And the, the twists and turns in that were um, insane. It, it was good. It was a quick read. I just, I yeah. ran through it. I see she's got a lot of other stuff. I might try another one of hers just to see how it goes. I do worry, like, kind of like with Ruth Ware, like, I feel like that they can kind of follow the same path. Like, the story's like, yeah. they change some things, but it's like, okay, and now here's the twist. You know, it's not like surprising. a Harlan Coben where you're like, yeah, every time. Everything's like, Wait, what? Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. And then I read uh, Victory of Eagles, which is temporary number five. And I've got to say, it was my least favorite. Which one? Least. Where are they located on this one? So this one, uh, they're in England and Napoleon has landed. So Lawrence is fighting with himself and his duty and honor to like give himself over to execution. And it's like all he fucking talks about. And Temeraire is like leading a group of rebel dragons, which is actually kind of fun until uh, he no longer is because he like rejoins up with the army and Lawrence. And then it's kind of like me. Um, and they like, yeah, there were a couple books in the middle there that I was like, yeah and england is basically exiling them so it's like oh yeah no this like really strong powerful creature and his uh you know rider that just won great victory for us and all this yeah let's get rid of him yeah it makes sense um so you finished that one yes so are they they're being exiled to they're headed to australia yeah okay yeah i couldn't remember yeah all right the australia one was slightly more fun <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've, I've been picking them up as I go. And like, uh, I, I'm always like, I'm usually, usually I'm like, oh, like, I, I want to get back to Lawrence and uh, Tamara at some point. And this time I'm like, eh, I'm gonna take a break. <laughs> so though there were a couple in the middle, that was one of them that I like, because I had switched from I had started them as audiobooks, then I bought them as like hard copy and then switched back because I was like, I'm losing steam with like the actually reading it because yeah. there's so much that the audio delivers for me on like an entertainment level that I was like, I think that's what I need in my life. 
Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll get back to it at some point, but it's not gonna I, be. I did the same thing. I would like list. put it down and then. <clears throat> yeah, and it is. It's like riding a bike. It's easy to get back yeah. into. You're not confusing, you know, alt history, Napoleonic no. War, dragons with anything right. else you're reading. So right. That that is a nice part. Yeah. So that's what I am reading. Uh, I have, like I said, I haven't started anything because I was trying to keep all of the priory and the orange tree in my head. So we'll see where that leads me. So our next segment is random recommendation, which is also your turn this time. It is both mine. All right. So my random rec, I think I mentioned this, but I was listening to it a while ago. It's Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. It's a very fun cover. So I like Googled a little description of it. Um, It says it's a heartwarming and charming and unconventional story about the friendship between a lonely widow, a down on his luck young man, and a giant Pacific octopus whose name is Marcellus. Mm -hmm. And it was, I I did it as an audiobook. It was very, very quick, pleasant listen. I appreciate when audiobooks have like two narrators for like different parts of the the story. And the narrator for Marcellus was amazing. Um, Marcellus is amazing in general. Um, But I cried like sad and happy tears. And it is exactly as that said, a heartwarming, charming and unconventional story. And it's it was a lot of fun. And I definitely it gave me a newfound respect for giant Pacific octopi. And I went and watched the My Octopus Teacher on Netflix afterwards, and it was good, too. Yeah, we watched that a while ago. That was pretty a crazy story. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Heartbreaking. Yeah, also that. Yeah. I mean, this was a little bit of that, but also, like, oh, Marcellus. He's just a gem. <laughs> That's great. I have seen that cover uh, a few times online, so that will be something I'll keep an eye out for. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Nice. So our last piece of business then is what's on the next podcast. And we have officially our first surprise, surprise book that uh, that one of us doesn't know what it is. So Taja is going to unwrap it and uh, tell us what we're reading on the next podcast. Oh God, if I can, how you like epic rap job, dude, where? There's a lot of tape. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so excited. So I saw you put this on your Goodreads uh, want to read after I had bought it. And I was like, please, God, do not um, buy that book. Naren read it, I think. Yeah, she did. Uh, so the book is Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. It so, looks amazing. Very cool story on this. It was self-published by him. Uh, he tried to put it in bookstores, like I think where he was working or something like that. Like he was literally trying to give it away. Uh, and then it like took off and this is uh, since been real published real that's rude to say it has since been republished by Tor and now it's like I've seen it quite a few places so the little blurb for you it's a novel of high fantasy and low stakes Uh, take a break from epic battles and saving the world so we'll see I thought it fit well (laughs) with our D&D on again off again theme and uh, we'll, we'll see it also just for a side by side. <laughs> I'm also excited for that. It is uh, much, much. Only smaller. 294 pages. That's totally manageable. Back to normal level novel size. So I believe we're back on track. So we should see you guys in two weeks. And we are excited to bring Legends and Lattes to you. So until then, this has been the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep Keep reading. reading.